You're listening to The Cannabis Agenda, your weekly source for cannabis-related news and informed discussion. We podcast for an hour every Monday covering topics related to cannabis legalization, medical marijuana, and market-related information. You can follow online with us at CannabisAgenda.com. And now, your hosts, Jamie Katz and Mike Reed. Wow, man. <laughs> Episode 34. Been doing this. 34 it is. We're moving on a year, Absolutely. guys. Like we're getting we're getting closer mm-hmm. closer and closer. We've been doing this for a year. You betcha. What's episode 50 gonna be like? Wow. Everyone's awesome. so they're getting so much more dynamic. It's uh there's so it's much. It's gonna be a huge party. Right. Yeah. Right. In Rio de Janeiro. I'm kind of hoping for a party uh <laughs> November second when we do our yeah. late night episode uh right. with the with the you know, polling numbers coming in and stuff. Is right? that is that our plan? Are we gonna do a? I, I hadn't. We haven't talked about it, but I just kind of always assumed we were gonna do something. That you know, night. maybe we should try to broadcast it on our radio stream. Stream it. Yeah, stream we, it. We, we talked about that a while ago, actually. Uh-huh. At one point, yeah, that being our first live show. Uh huh. What do you think, Jamie? Sounds good to me. Yeah, yeah. It'll um, be it'll be late out there in Illinois when the California polling numbers are coming back. Oh yeah, it'll be a late yeah, night. Well, but it's it, it's I, just one of those energetic things. It won't matter what time it is. You sure. know, I mean, it's. I assure you, historic. I will not be sleeping. Right. You want to know what's <laughs> happening for sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, for all you guys that have uh, uh, listened to us before, welcome back. And for anyone that's uh, new, uh, welcome. We appreciate you uh, checking us out. Um, we uh we we cover all things cannabis. Uh, the show uh, it, it, it's our motto is hey it's organic. Um, it's changed a lot since we first started. It's still changing. Um, our community continues to grow. People keep emailing mm-hmm. and calling, and our inter- we're getting a lot more interviews now. So. Um, the dynamic changes constantly with this show, and it is about your participation. So uh, tell us what you think, please. Anytime you've got any thoughts or questions or whatever, please hit us up, uh, info at CannabisAgenda.com. Uh, call us, 707-654-CANN. Um, and, yeah, you can subscribe on iTunes if you're new here, um, and it will be updated automatically whenever there's a new episode available for you. Um, and, uh, yeah, if you're, if you're, if, when you're on iTunes too, if you're thinking about it, please rate us that, uh, apparently does some sort of magic for us, right? Uh, some sort of black magic, black yeah. magic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't really get it, but uh, Apple magic. Okay. And, um, Facebook, uh, check us out on Facebook. Please like us and invite your friends. It, it, it would be, uh, it would be great if, um, if you guys would take the time to do that for us. Um, Hey, we've got some new listeners in Louisiana. I've noticed a slew of them. And, um, I was, uh, just looking into this before the show. I was like, huh, I don't, I wonder, you know, I wonder how terrible the laws in Louisiana are. And Louisiana uh, is tough, dude. Did you go to the normal? Did you go to normal? Check it out too on Mm normal.org and their index. Yes, I did. Wow. First offense for any amount is a misdemeanor. So that's good. But it's well, it's not good. But it's better it's not than good, right? It's not, <laughs> and it, it, it does uh, potentially have uh, incarceration rate of, of or, or time of six months. You could do up to six months for your first possession. Um, Five hundo. Mm-hmm. Um, second offense for any amount is a felony, and you can do zero, zero to five years on it. Third or subsequent is a felony, zero to twenty years on it, and then any possession within a thousand feet of a school church or public housing uh, is a felony with a minimum mandatory of the half the maximum penalty, which would be 10 years minimum mandatory sentence. 
felony. And a variable fine, so I guess they just decide how much they're going to fine you on that one. That is terrible. That I mean, That's scary. I mean, <laughs> so basically, if you possess pot in a public housing, I mean, you you just smoking weed in public housing, you can do ten yeah. years minimum mandatory. That sounds yeah. That's. That's it. That's not. That's not right. As far as uh, the criminal justice system goes, that's that's. I think it's wrong. That's disproportionate treatment for uh, financially disadvantaged folks. It, just because you live in a housing project, how do you justify that? What do you think the? I mean, can you even imagine what the crazy justification is of that? That's got to be some gateway theory, crazy madness. There, I don't. I, I don't get it. That's that's a that's insane to think of. You could send someone yeah. to jail for ten years for for a bong load get out of here what's that all about and then in yeah. here in the sales and cultivation part gets it's even more terrible so less than 60 pounds um sale or cultivation is a felony within with a jail time of five to 30 years and a fine of 50 grand right but Jeez. if you do 60 to two thousand pounds it's still a felony five to 30 years with a they just potentially double the rate on the fine, the money maybe right. like it's fifty to a hundred thousand. So if you're selling eights only in Louisiana, you're like selling yourself short, really, because the risk, the risk for like nineteen hundred and ninety nine pounds is exactly the same as it is for an eighth. That right. makes no sense. <laughs> that is also disproportionately um, geared towards throwing poor people in jail. Terrible. I, I mean, it, it's uh, these these laws in Louisiana um, are you need some attention. They definitely do, and and I know that there is a slew of new Louisiana listeners out there, and I know that mm -hmm. you guys are very active, and um, so uh, yeah, we would uh, love to hear from you guys and uh, we'll cover any sort of stories you can send in um, related to uh, the marijuana. Um, prohibition in your state and uh, horrible thing. I mean, I, I can't imagine much good happening there. If there is good happening there related to marijuana, please let us know. We'd love to cover it. And uh, welcome. It's good. It's good that you guys are here. So Louisiana, Louisiana. I've never been. I've uh, always wanted to to get there and uh, just just haven't really been able to make it. But I will. I want to get there for Jazz Fest. Is what mm -hmm. I want to go for. That's, mm -hmm. that's the I one. But that'd be a great. That'd yep. be a great time to go. Definitely. Hey, um, what what happened to China in the past thirty days? We've got some global agenda, global listeners. Yeah, we got we. What, we're, you guys remember we used to have that China was our number one country in terms of uh, visitors to our website. Weird, right? Uh, number one after the United States, our, so the number two country. And then, so in the past thirty days, they've just uh, China's disappeared. We've got we've got listeners from all over the place, including such places yeah. as. Canada, the Netherlands, Sweden, Russia, United Kingdom, Germany, Spain, Austria, and even Saudi Arabia and India. Wow. Mm -hmm. But no China. But uh, no I China. hope no one got their head cut off for oh. looking Listening at our website in China. Yeah, Seriously. Um Wow, that's oh nobody got shouted at even for listening to our program. <laughs> this is a positive program. <laughs> yeah, you know, mm -hmm, it is. And this program today is going to probably be another three-hour show. We hit three hours for the first time last week for episode <laughs> number thirty-three. Thirty-three, three hours. Whoa! Ooh, Ooh wow, that's uh, oh no, that's that's a little too crazy for me to wrap my head around mm -hmm. right now. But yeah, we got some uh, good, good interviews on the uh, on the show today. We Line do. up for you guys. Um, we 
What do we got? Yeah, we're going to check in with uh, Jay Selhoffner again and get a little update on what, how his campaign's been going. Um, we've got lots of emails. Um, several of those we'll probably share, I'm sure. And then Jamie, um, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, go ahead. No, you have uh, you, you did an interview that you brought up last week about uh, with your law professor, right? Yeah, you know, I think like evidently a lot of people have been doing that are involved in this movement. I was just thinking to myself, man, I wonder what would happen, what the feds could do technically from an objective point of view. Um, you know what? I should find a constitutional law expert. So I went to uh, a legal studies department at the University of Illinois, and I just started asking professors, who, <laughs> telling them who I was and what we wanted to talk about, and ask who would be a, pro- a professional, you know, that would, they would be an expert on constitutional law. And they all led me to uh, two different professors, and this was one of them. And we had a chance to sit down with her and talk. So that'll be interesting as well. That's cool. We're also going to talk with uh, Chris Conrad today. Um, which mm, I'm stoked about that. Super, super exciting. So, uh, yeah. you guys stay tuned for that. Um, mm-hmm. we are going to be covering, uh, the Obama administration's, um, basically denouncement of prop 19 and then the yes on prop 19's response to that. Um, uh, what else we got today? Oh, we're going to well, be covering Eric, Arizona Eric from too. Arizona. Yeah, yep. Definitely. Definitely. That's huge. We, we told you guys we'd get to Arizona uh, last week, and we will. We're going to um, talk about Prop 203 today and mm-hmm. uh, some more New Jersey stuff, it looks like. So um, uh, that's that's what's on the agenda for today. We pushed back uh, Chunk Norris to next week probably. So uh, if you guys mm-hmm. are listening to that, listening for that, that will be next week, and that will be an uh, in-depth uh, discussion on uh, – bugs how to kill them how they live their life cycles different types of defense i, I don't know if, if you guys are any 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 bit like me but i'm a bug hater man <laughs> oh my gosh i'm so uh, completely and entirely against hate in most instances but i gotta admit i hate now i hate uh spider mites i hate spider mites i literally hate them and I'm not afraid to say it. Boy, ooh. <laughs> Kill them all. <laughs> Kill them all. All right. Well, um, guys, yeah, we, we appreciate y'all being here. Check us out, cannabisagenda.com. Uh, email us, info cannabisagenda.com. Call us, 707-654-CAN-C-A-N-N. Hey, what's going on with Jay? We're getting close to election time here. Mm-hmm. I had a chance, a chance to uh, give him a call and check in with him. Um, we said, "Hey, man, do you think you might be willing to, uh, you know, do a little check in and let people know?" He's just like, "Sure," you know, like he always is. He's like, "Yeah, man, give me a ring." So uh, we gave him a call, and uh, we have the interview queued up. We can uh, take a listen to it if you want. Let's roll it. Hey, is this Jay Selfhoffner? Yeah, it is. What's happening, Jay? It's Jamie Cass from the Cannabis Agenda. Hey, how are you guys? Everything's going good up here. Just getting ready for fall, so. Awesome. Hey, we're wondering. Um, everybody's kind of scattered around, so it's just me on the phone call. But I was hoping that you might be able to give us kind of a home stretch interview a little bit. Hey, no problem. I gotcha. appreciate it. So. Very cool. Uh, I guess the first thing I wish is the election uh, buzz is you know just starting to kick in. I realize that people probably just don't pay attention to politics until it gets close to election time. So when we were out there, we jumped the gun way ahead of time, got a lot of publicity. And now that people are starting to pay attention to say, hey, 
who am I going to vote for? Uh, everything is starting to multiply. You know, just the uh, donations coming in, mm-hmm. the feedback we're getting from the community, the op-ed letters in the paper, the uh, people calling for our yard signs, you know. I mean, it's all just amplified. So it's really kind of invigorated us, got us excited for this last three-week stretch here. Awesome. That sounds very cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're uh, we're all very enthusiastic about this uh process at uh, at the cannabis agenda i know a lot of our listeners called in and said man jay that guy jay is, is rocking we know they, they hope the best for you too so um oh, great there there was a couple questions that came up though um some sure. people were asking let me see i jotted this down so i wouldn't forget oh yeah they wanted to know about polling data is, mm-hmm. is have you what's the polling data looking like with this race you know, in my particular district, it's a small district. Assembly district it uh-huh. has uh, represents 99 uh, positions in Wisconsin, so it's about 26,000 to 30,000 votes that are uh, held to take the district here. The only official poll that's been put on was uh, shortly after I announced my candidacy. It was very hemp-specific, hemp, hemp but touched on full legalization also. Mm-hmm. I had over 80, 80% support for the issue. Uh, the only other indicator we've had, at least on like a public gauge, would be the newspaper's report on it. After the primary, uh, I'm, ref- I'm facing a Republican incumbent. Uh, she mm-hmm. served three terms already. So she actually had a challenger this year. He took 30% of the vote just by being on the ballot. It doesn't sound like he was nearly out in the public as much as I did. Mm-hmm. So the papers were reported it as uh, no clear choice for the 41st district uh, along with the poll for the marijuana issue plus we kind of gauge it by we have a, a letter to the editor program in our local paper that serves the the largest reader district you know the hits the majority of the population here uh-huh. and you can actually write an anonymous letter to the editor you don't have to print your name with it so it's they allow it to be very open to keep dialogue going and we use that as a gauge too that since we've uh, been doing this we've received no negative feedback from the community at all only positive feedback so uh, all all signs indicate that reform is coming uh we hope that we can put me in office so i can lead the way very cool yeah we hope that too <laughs> actually uh i know there's a lot of people around the country and maybe some of the international listeners also that are going man i hope that guy wins in wisconsin oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a big deal you know and we- yeah, we always call it uh, the sign wars, too, you know, uh-huh. uh, being a local district, uh, being a small, we're kind of in a hub where you know, we're, we're, we're right in the middle uh, of Wisconsin. So even the major mainstream media news outlets, mm-hmm. they, we, they don't really cater to us. Our local people don't advertise on the radio or on the uh, television just because it's some people watch Madison News, some people Green Bay, some people Wausau. So they really gauge by how many yard signs you have up how many billboard signs you have up they're like gosh jay you know if everybody who has a sign up votes for you i think you got a good chance and <laughs> in, a, in, in the two county area here i'm from one county joan who is my competition she's from another county and you can clearly see that she's nowhere near infiltrated my my area and i very much infiltrated hers so if it's a if it's one of those things where the the battle of the signs is any indicator uh i definitely have it one. The other thing that has it going for me is I'm an independent candidate. So mm-hmm. we have a very heated governor race and a very heated yeah. uh, U.S. Senate race right now, Feingold and Johnson, and uh-huh. our, our governor races, Walker uh, and Barrett. And people see my signs out uh, by both parties. 
and that's getting people talking too that that just okay. doesn't happen you know so you see a, a more uh, diverse, a wider range of support, I think, for my campaign than what anybody initially even thought, even myself, to tell you the truth. Right, wow, that's awesome. And we had another question. Somebody was asking: Is are there any? Was there ever any? De- were there? A, was there a Dem or Dems involved in this race at all? Or? Yeah, yeah, actually, we do. We have a, a Democratic challenger also uh, from the district. He's ran a couple times against the Republican already. He hasn't really even come close at all. So, I mean, technically, yeah, he's in the race. Um, I, the, the unusual thing about our district, too, is, is we're all technically supporters of reform for marijuana. Uh, uh-huh. and we we kind of joke here because only one candidate here is actually wearing it on their sleeve, who's talking about it, who's making noise, and that happens to be me. Mm-hmm. And it even goes to show that, you know, maybe you know, maybe it's something that these other candidates don't want to draw attention to just because it's going to get that many more votes my way, saying, hey, look at how hard this guy is working on the issue. But, yeah, technically yeah. it's a three-way race, Dem, Republican, and an Independent. Wow, wow. So things are going good. Now, now I want to make sure we tell our listeners, uh, you – you're still in need. You can still use the the donations, correct? Oh, definitely. Not you know, too we're late. gonna keep the campaign. We're gonna keep the campaign open. We open it as the Friends of Jay Salthoffner, not knowing if we're gonna win this race. Mm-hmm. If we did, great. We're gonna have to run again at some time too. So we're gonna actually keep the right. campaign contributions going. You know, whether I win, lose, in office, not in office, uh, we can continue to do that. So awesome, cool. Look, Jay, I just got I just got some money in, and I just need to put it up on uh, PayPal really soon, sometime early this week. And I will be sending you another donation from each of us at the show as well. So, oh, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. It. And we're we're labeled in the district as uh, you know conservative fiscals. So even a four dollar and twenty cent donation, we we make it go a long way. I mean, we actually did some radio commercials. So this was one of the first campaigns locally that's done radio commercials. But yeah, being kind of a conservative fiscal, but having some uh, liberal moral issues or liberal social issues, uh, it's getting people talking. But yeah, every every donation yeah. helps, and we thank you very very much. Oh, absolutely. It's our it's our pleasure to help out on this race. This is worth it, you know, no doubt, no doubt about it. We've uh, we cover a lot of Prop 19, but but so far uh, we we make a mention of you in every show for sure. Oh, that's great. And you know, I mean, that's just the thing is we now get to that three week stretch. We actually are seeing some of the mainstream media here in mm-hmm. Wisconsin covering the marijuana issue. Uh, Wisconsin Public Radio uh, has had several candidates who have addressed uh, either just full outright legalization uh, or medical or industrial hemp. So well, we kind of we kind of already consider our, our campaign a winner uh, just because of the the noise we've made and the attention we've brought to an issue. So. Sure. Hey, you know what? There was another question I just want to throw in there that this doesn't really have pertain to your. Well, I guess it pertains to your campaign because you're catering to these individuals. But what what do people are what are people from Wisconsin referred to? Are those Wisconsinites? Yeah, Wisconsinites. Okay, that's what we said on the show. I thought that was right. I wasn't sure though. Yep. <laughs> just yep no, that's the label we'll take. So I cheese uh, heads is another one that they kind of joke a little bit about because of the Green Bay Packers. They had a following here with the with the whole cheese head thing. But no, Wisconsinites right. will take that a label just just fine. So good. Yeah, there's a lot of Bears fans in Wisconsin too, right? Or is that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that's just the thing. Is we, <laughs> you know, we're, we we were joking about this the other day as far as tourism goes. You know, we have four distinct seasons. You know, and every one of them is is 
so beautiful. And if you added just a little bit of green with them, I'm sure our industry uh, <laughs> underneath the tourism would just, uh, you know, would just skyrocket. That people love to come out to Wisconsin already. And I mean, if we set a, a model for for some for some other states, obviously, I think that's going to serve the purpose there. But if we can boost some of our economy here, specifically the tourism industry, I mean, that's just another reason to do it. Not to mention all of the just the. Uh, you know, smart reasons to end marijuana prohibition also. Right. Absolutely. Wow. Well, hey, Jay, you know, we, as always, uh, we're, we're in full support of your efforts out there. We appreciate what you're doing. We appreciate we have a, a pretty strong, reasonably strong listenership out there in Wisconsin as well. Um, so we encourage you guys, keep checking out the show, keep up the good work for sure. And we'll, uh, we'll definitely stay connected with what's happening with this campaign. Now, let me ask you this before we, we, uh, get out of here. Um, <laughs> Do you think that we should check in right at uh, uh, election time, right around then, or should we maybe go a week prior and check in again? I know you're busy, so you wanna, yeah. No, if you want to check back, we're actually having a okay. uh, my family hosts a art festival uh, on our family farm here. It's the ninth annual year that we've done it. Uh, I've never really incorporated any of my business aspects into it. It's always been more of the the art festival itself. But this year we're sure. going to incorporate the campaign into it, and that's actually the 23rd and 24th. We expect that to be the kind of culmination of the campaign, uh, as far as the personal nature, to kind of show who our family is and show case you know some of the things we do with the community mm-hmm. and then fortunately we do have two scheduled two scheduled debates uh even on the small local race here that we're going to have two debates one of them will be televised so yeah check back we'll have lots of exciting news for you very cool very cool yeah go get them in those debates i like that will those be filmed by the way uh, I believe one is going to be televised, broadcast on our uh, cable access in huh. Ripon, Wisconsin. That is on the 28th of October, 7 o'clock at night. Uh, the other one is in a more rural setting. I do not believe it is, or they haven't told us. But actually, the, to- the topic is kind of interesting. It's going to be specifically focused on, it's brought together by the um, five counties for uh, to the, basically the Tobacco Coalition. I forget the exact name of the organization. Uh, oh, here it is. Five counties for tobacco free living. So the actual conversation in the forum is going to address alcohol, tobacco, and nutrition, which is three of the topics that I kind of hold near and dear to my heart and very much lead into what we should be doing anyways with particular So, Wow. That's very, very cool. All right, sir. Well, I'll tell you what, man. We're always with you. Uh, We're we're, we're in full support of what you're doing out there. We'll check in with you again in a a couple weeks, say. Uh, I appreciate it. Is that a couple weeks-ish? Can you say it that way? But uh, yeah, we'll, yeah. <laughs> we'll work it out uh, one way or another and uh, keep track of what's going on with your campaign. Until then, we'll uh, keep letting our listeners know that there's uh, an ongoing need for financial uh, uh, help in this area. I know that getting the word out costs money, and that's really what it all comes down to, especially in the end. Like you said, it's a lot like the, the, the baseball season or some some big sports season where a lot of people maybe not – don't pay attention through the regular season. And when it comes down to the championships or the finals, that's when everybody tunes in. And, and yep. uh, oh, yeah. that's yeah, what we're at right that. here, for sure. That's where we're at. It's crunch time, baby, crunch time. So right on. Uh, the nice, nice thing is the, the groundwork that we laid up to this point uh, shows how hard we've been working on this issue, you know, how professional we've done with it, and, you know, really how we could take any issue and really champion, champion uh, a people's issue for them. And, 
And I think that's something that they're looking forward to also, is just putting putting people back into politics, not looking at party lines or anything like that, but just looking at who is who can get the job done for us. So. Right. I think that's exactly what we need, too. Mm-hmm. For sure. All right, sir. Well, hey, we're, we know you're really busy. Uh, we thank you for taking the time so much for taking a uh, little bit of time out of your schedule um, to speak with us and uh, keep people updated to what's going on in your campaign. And uh, like I said, we'll uh, we'll check back in with you uh, maybe uh, two weeks or so. Okay, and see how okay. things are going. Hey, appreciate it. Thanks nice. again for spreading the word. Yeah, absolutely. Always a pleasure to talk to you, Jay. All right, take care. We'll talk right. again soon. You too. See ya. Bye bye. Jay Selthoffner. Uh mm-hmm. Here's the big deal. It is crunch time in, in Wisconsin. Um, we have a very young listenership from Wisconsin. A lot, a lot of uh, new voters probably. Um, it, it's a big deal to show up and vote. And um, Huge. Yeah, and it's a big deal for you to talk to all of your, your friends that are also voting for the first time and mm-hmm. have them go and, and, and make sure they vote for Jay because uh, we, we know you guys are really into this. Um, in Wisconsin. Our, we appreciate everything um, that we've heard, the, the response we've gotten from you guys, and, and really the, the message we have to you guys is, is show up at the polls and vote for Jay. So that's, that, that'd be huge, right? That's, that's what they... You betcha. That's, that's what, what really matters. That's crunch time, you know? That's, that, that's it right there, and it's coming up soon. So, yeah. Cool. Thanks for that, Jamie. We appreciate it, man. Sure. Yep. Um, looks like we got some, uh, some, some stuff from our listeners this week, didn't we? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah Tony co- contacted us, telling us about a little incident that happened in Cook County. None too uh, foreign to us here at Cannabis Agenda. We report on these kind of things that happen far too often as it is this time. Uh, once again, the sheriff, this time the Cook County Sheriff's Department, were responsible for an unnecessary raid. Darn it. We got it. We had a tip and we thought it was credible. Sorry about ripping up your home. Right. Um, the big thing about this one is they actually did apologize. Why, though? And I thought, wait a minute, they never, ever, they notoriously never apologize. Wait a minute. And I looked more deeper into this and I said, was this guy, the deputy chief, Mike Smith, they sent a deputy chief to personally, to personally, wait a minute. And then I realized, you know what? The gentleman that is running, uh, that is running the Cook County Sheriff's Department, the, uh, um, current sheriff, I don't remember what what his name is, but he is, he's a, he's a candidate for uh, the governor, or for mayor, I'm sorry, for mayor of Chicago. And uh, then it all comes crystal clear. Oh, it's all political. Uh, Of course he did that. It's an election time. He's trying to make some, you know, but, you know, if he really wanted to do that the right way, why didn't he show up in person? Or why didn't he personally call him and say, man, I'm sorry, my officers did that? I I mean, you know, it's just not, it's too bad that it's just not normal practice to apologize to people for, Bringing right. twenty armed men in the middle of the night into your house, kicking, tearing it up, yeah, they, uh, shooting your dogs. Uh, thank God they didn't have pets in this in this instance, <laughs> right? Uh, and thank, I mean, the older gentleman they said in the story, his health is. Uh, they said he wasn't. He's not in the best health, and he'd been asleep for several hours already. Can you imagine yeah, getting woken up that. That in the middle of the night? I mean, you know, lucky. Hey, man. I'm in a lot better shape health health wise than he is, and I think I might have a heart attack if that went down in my house. Oh man, if twenty dudes with with automatic weapons came tearing in in the middle of the mm-hmm. night, that'd scare the shit out of me, man. I, I, I could in I could I could totally have a have a coronary right there. No no problem at all. Um, that's mm-hmm. a stressful event, and um, it's it's really sad that that this just continues to happen. Uh, cops get these tips, and I, I don't know how. 
these erroneous tips are even made, if it's a joke that an informant plays on someone they hate, or I don't know, but it seems like just a little due diligence, and maybe you'd figure out that that grandma and grandpa in there, the most dangerous drug they've got is is aspirin, and and you need to not Mm -hmm. kick in their door with... Here's some more politics playing. Their officers immediately requested the assistance of an interpreter and, as a precautionary measure, a medic. What? Yeah, yeah. The officers, whenever they realized, oh, shoot, we're in the wrong place, and this is another ridiculous uh, instance where we've infiltrated a a team of um, elderly citizens. <laughs> I think then they they called they called for assistance from these people. I think if they're going to go in with a a team of dudes with automatic weapons, they should have an ambulance standing by regardless. Already, just, just yeah, in that's case. another another instance of <laughs> what mean, should be happening regularly. Uh-uh. Well, actually, this shouldn't happen at all regularly. But if it's going to happen, at least you know if they truly did care. That's the I think that's the underlying point we're all trying to make here. If they truly did care in the way that they're trying to lead you to believe here in this instance, then they would have already had these things in place in the you know in the first place. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh-huh. It's uh, too bad that, that it's too bad yeah. that keeps working out the same way. Same. You know old. what? This never happens. The sheriff's department agreed to pay for the repairs to the home. <laughs> it's amazing. It's amazing yeah. what happens around election time. Yeah, they should do all these raids this time of this. this yeah, this time you know this season. is this is the part that really kicks me in the nards. Check this out. He says uh, they said his their their son. His name is Andrew uh, Jacket. Jakimek, I think. I don't know if I said that. I mean, hopefully, I didn't mispronounce it. I probably did. But he said neither his nor his uh, parents pressed uh, the the sheriff's department for details on what led to their mistake. But still, he said he hoped the incident would prompt the sheriff's department to take greater care in the future because this episode had been especially distressing distressing for his parents, who he said grew up in fear of police raids during their teenage years in what was now uh, what's now the Ukraine. And were both forced into slave labor by Nazi Germany in World War II. No so you can, way. Yeah, so you can imagine what these folks were. You know, they were thinking, "Oh my God, I thought we got rid of all. You know, I hope we. Sur- I thought we survived all that <laughs> chaos. What in the world's going on?" Jeez. Yeah. So they made it through. The, they lived through the Holocaust, moved to yeah. America, and then were uh, basically victims of the drug war without even. Doing anything wrong. Oh, my gosh. That is Mm -hmm. insane. Tony, thank you for sending us that. And to Cook County, we're really sorry about your police force there. That really sucks. Mm, Hope they get it together. Hey, Staley, our friend Staley sent us some stuff, didn't he? He did. He actually left a voicemail um, talking about uh, the research bin thing we did last week uh, where we were talking about the potential negative impacts of of marijuana for health. Um, So let's uh, take a listen. Hey, y'all, this is uh, Staley from Washington. I just wanted to say that this week's show was really awesome, and I did have one comment on your research bin study about the guy talking about the, you know, potential negative impacts of increased use around, you know, California, Prop 19, that kind of thing. Uh, I just think that that stuff has to be talked about um, to really make us legitimate you know, any any good scientist is going to look at every bit of material out there. You know what I'm saying? We're not going to overpass one thing because it's from a certain group or whatever. Uh, 
it only makes us that much more credible in the long run. Um, and I was going to suggest one website that, you know, if you're talking to people that don't necessarily think the way that we do as far as, you know, having a cannabis agenda, uh, ProCon.org, I think, is the, the website, is really good about putting uh, all studies up and even has the governmental studies from the Schaefer study and the, the Donald Tashkin study. Um, I think the Donald Tashkin study actually was a 30-year study done by the U.S. government trying to find any link between cancer and cannabis. And after 30 years, he basically said, this is ridiculous. There is no link that I can find, you know, and, and basically came out, you know, in favor of, you know, decriminalization, legalization. I can't remember exactly what he said. But, uh, you know, I just wanted to add that point, and I really appreciate everything you're doing. I enjoy your show every week, and I'm trying to get more people, you know, listen to it, and maybe maybe we can make some change. So thanks, and y'all have a good week, dude. Bye. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you, Staley. Uh, that's why I put that on there last week is because mm-hmm. I feel like it is uh, important for us to uh, discuss the potential negative impacts, and uh, none of us here on the agenda have ever claimed that we know for certain that there will never be any definitive negative impacts i mean it's it's a potential right jamie um sure you mean uh, uh the law well or, uh, no i mean of, of health for towards your health yeah. specifically yeah. towards your health is what i'm referring sure. to sure i mean you know the, it, I, I think he makes a good point staley made a great point with uh he was talking about the website pro uh pro org or procon.org pro org. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah that's a great site they, they really do uh try to present things in objective manner um you know both sides of an issue and i think that's what we do we do. We try to do here on the on the agenda as well. Um, we we try to give both sides. I mean, like we reported before, it, it's it's pretty innocuous substance, as everybody knows, cannabis, you know, in general. But if you have a heart condition, there's one example right there. It can kill you. It's not because of its it being cannabis or because of the the um, chemical you know composure of the plant itself. It's just it's because it tends to increase your heart rate sometimes that you know drastically initially when you first uh, ingest cannabis and and just if you have a pre existing heart condition you can't handle that. So there's some some instances where yeah it's a problem you know and I'm sure we will as you said you know I think we'll find out a lot more about cannabis as soon as we get this ridiculous scheduling uh, barrier out of the way and get allowed, you know, some, some of our top scientists to honestly check this, this uh, plant out. I think, I think we're all going to be surprised. I think so too. And, and, and we've, we've never claimed to be, I mean, that's, that's what on the agenda as far as health goes, we're very much still kind of waiting to find out exactly how cannabis affects your health as far right. as far as how the laws go we're very much not in favor of <laughs> current laws in the united <laughs> states and we can't even deny that i mean we're not we I, we're, we're we're not we are a bit impartial too um i think it has something to do with the health thing too that part of it that you just mentioned because because we know at least enough to know that it, it's it the the laws themselves the damage from the laws themselves is far overreaching any kind of you know damage that it does health wise that's a that's a that's a brilliant point Jamie because it's the truth we know it's not bad enough for people to in Louisiana to do twenty years for or ten Shitty. years for a eighth yeah. in a public housing zone or a thousand feet from a church or whatever we know that we know that the the laws do not come anywhere close to um, 
really just they're not justified by the health consequences of cannabis there's no way right. it's never gonna be proven that they are i mean you look at tobacco for instance um we've obviously determined guaranteed tobacco is a killer and uh mm-hmm. we didn't go and make it illegal you know we just just taxed the hell out of it and and started you know public education um you know right. outreach and stuff on it and tobacco use has gone down significantly so uh, I think that we're pretty clear on our point that prohibition of marijuana is uh, is not the right thing for society. But as far as ultimately how it's going to affect our health, we're still kind of waiting. And we always want to consider all sides when it comes to it. Um, and we'll be covering more research bin uh, stuff in the future. And thanks for uh, thanks for. Um, you know, inspiring thought on that, Staley. We appreciate it. And you also sent us mm-hmm. some le- links this week. Uh, you guys can check out on our show notes. Uh, he sent us a link for the Price of Weed, which is a site where you can go and look at uh, prices of weed, a video for Suds versus Buds. And uh, what else did he have here? So another another clip uh, as well. So uh, you can check out the, the those are on the show notes. Oh, by the way, in, in for new listeners, uh, we we like to point this out every week. You can go to the website cannabisagenda dot com. You can look at the show. It outlays. Uh, we have a good outline of it, and you can click on any of the stories we cover or any of the links that we we put mm-hmm. we talk about on the show. They're all right there. So. Yes, and you can leave us a voice message too. Just call 707-654-CAN, that's C-A-N-N. Definitely. Uh-huh. Uh, check us out. Uh, email too, please. Any 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 sort of thoughts you have? We've got some more emails uh, um, recently from Eric in Arizona on Prop 203. We're going to feature mm-hmm. 203 in the show later on. We appreciate the effort, Eric. Thanks a lot. That's what this is all about. Um and uh, we will we will get to Prop 203 in a little while. We also uh, heard from Scott from Leaf. Is it Leafly? dot com? I think, I think it's so. Leafly. Yeah. Leafly, which makes sense. Like a Leaf. like yeah, but it's a you know Lee. Yeah, it's, which is doesn't that imply quarterly or or, or Leafly? I was thinking more along the lines of like <laughs> like, like like an adverb, you know, like uh, steadily or you know actively. Uh-huh. Uh huh. You know, I was thinking like more like weekly. Weekly, yeah. Bi- you know, like biannually, like it's the v- updated version of I don't know. We're, we're gonna we'll have to ask him. We're yeah. gonna get him on here uh, at some point in the future. Not sure if it'll be next show or the show after that, but we will be talking to him very soon this week, sometime perhaps, and um, find out uh, what Leafly is. But you want to know how how this guy? This, so this guy was listening to us, Jamie. And you remember when we were yeah. lo- what site were we looking at? What were we talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the one where you. Uh, you can we, find we maps. weed maps. We were looking on weed, weed maps, maps and you were clicking yeah. on dispensaries to look at their um, to look at their menus. And you yeah, were touching those little those little uh, pot leaves on a couple of the strains. Super R- Silver Haze was one of them. That's why it tipped me off. Right, and and you were like, I don't know what these little leaves are. Well, apparently yeah. those are links to Leafly. I think right, basically I something. So. He invented those. Or so he claims. At least yeah. that's what he claims. So we'll, we'll get more from him in the future. But it's interesting. He was, you know, he was listening that closely. Yeah, that's that is funny. <laughs> and and uh, that's, that's like cool. his thing. Like 
Mm-hmm. Cool, dude. Yeah. Right. Hey, on. they're talking about my stuff. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, dude. So uh, we love getting that sort of feedback from people. Um, so please keep sending it in or calling it in. We, 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 yeah. the, this is what this is all about. Uh, mm-hmm. We actually, um, I'm going to do, before we do the, the Comedy Central thing, I'm going to do, we got um, through our contact list, we got an email from Aaron, who is with the Cobra Medical Group in Tacoma, Washington. Uh, mm-hmm. This is kind of big news if uh, if this is actually panning out up there. Apparently, what he's saying is is all the co-ops in Tacoma have been ordered to cease operation on the 24th of October. And he's asking us to tell all of you, our listeners in Washington, specifically in that Tacoma area, to go to the city council meeting on Tuesday, October 19th at 5 p.m., which is before, this Tuesday. Yes, this is before the deadline. And he wants mm-hmm. all of you guys to show up. The address is 747 Market Street, Suite 1200. Hundred in Tacoma, Washington, nine eight four zero two is the zip code, uh, and it's on the first floor of the municipal municipal building. Uh, we need he wants everyone to show up to protect their safe access to medical cannabis. These things are big mm-hmm. deals, people. You and I know we have some listeners up in that area, so please spread the word. This could be going on under the radar, and is just going to smack all of you in the face all of a sudden. Um, this is the sort of stuff that we've dealt with in California. Uh, it's a pain in the ass. Really, it really is. But this is what the government does to fight back. And um, you guys need to show up and voice your opinions and, 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 and at least just be there, uh, you know, and and uh, and show your support for medical marijuana. Um, and we appreciate that. Uh, we appreciate the info, Aaron. Um, as a matter of fact, I might try and contact you if you're listening so that uh, we can we can talk to you and, and get a little bit more uh, info on that. Cause it sounds like you, you're, you're directly affected. What's up with this show will get you high. So we, we got an email uh-huh. from, uh, from someone who's promoting the show. They're doing it in conjunction with comedy central. It's a comedy central gig. Uh-huh. Yeah, we got an email from some people that are doing a show on um, comedy central. I guess it's the U UCB comedy comedy group. Okay. Um, Never heard of them, but I, I, I'm not a, yeah, me either. I'm, I'm not, not a funny guy. <laughs> You don't try at least. Right. Not professionally. <laughs> <laughs> you win some, you lose some. It happens. Not now, not never. <laughs> anyway, these guys are doing a show for Comedy Central called This Show Will Get You High. And I guess it's a, uh, it's a sketch comedy show. Um, and What uh, is that? What does that mean? What is sketch comedy? Yeah. And they're like little short, um, uh, I don't know. What would you call them? Like SNL type stuff? Like uh-huh, s- yeah. Sk- yeah, little skits. S- yeah, skits. Okay. Just little sketches. Yeah. Okay. And it's um, a pro pot thing, right? Apparently. that's that, So So she says, um, uh, and they have the, the worst hours for this show ever. They're, they're premiering it. Um, uh, she asked for us to plug these dates. Wednesday, uh, the 27th of October at 3 in the morning. Uh, Prime time, <laughs> baby. <laughs> if you're on methamphetamines or work a late night shift <laughs> uh the day after the 28th at 4 30 in the morning um and Jeez. and the following monday the first of november at uh four in the morning wow so set so, your tivo, yeah, so TiVo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's a tivo right there that's what you got to do because uh i'm not gonna be up that late hopefully really. hopefully oh. you'll be able to see this online somewhere well right i'm gonna ask we'll her. follow up yeah. on it uh-huh. yeah we'll definitely follow up uh, and we appreciate the you know, hopefully it's a hopefully it's effective. And I found their Facebook page too, which we have a link to in the show notes. In the show notes, if anyone is so inclined, check them out. Beautiful. Yeah, yep. Check them out. You know what else? Everybody should yeah. check out 
California. Oh yeah. If you ain't been, you need to come, and and even sooner than later, it'll be there'll be even better reasons to come out here. It's a, it's a great place. Uh, been leading the lines in the, the war against uh, cannabis prohibition for a while now, um, and uh, we're we're getting very close to November second, Prop nineteen, big deal. Don't you think, Jamie? Absolutely. Are you kidding? Unprecedented in our time, in our lifetime. Right, right. And we've got a, a interview coming up here uh, shortly with Chris Conrad. Um, just wanted mm-hmm. to let everybody know that you can go on our notes here and click on the link to his fact check, um, which is very useful to look into uh, because uh, there's a lot of um, a lot of pretty erroneous stuff going on. Talk about Prop 19 from supposed. Uh, legalization proponents. So it's interesting to follow what he's saying. Um, check out his link there. We're going to get him on the line here. Uh, let's get Chris Conrad on here. This should be good. Well, he is an author, museum curator, internationally recognized media spokesman, an educator. He's the publisher of The West Coast Leaf, um, a cannabis-related publication from out west in uh, California. A cannab- uh, It's a quarterly um publication. Chris Conrad is a court-qualified expert on cannabis hemp. Uh, He is cited in numerous appellate court decisions and at least one uh, California Supreme Court ruling. Um, He fights cannabis-related injustice and ignorance everywhere with his equally as involved wife, uh, Mickey Norris, who is director of Cannabis Consumers Campaign, the coordinator of human rights in the drug war, board member of the Oakland Civil Liberties Alliance, and much, much more. Simply put, Chris is an incredible asset to this movement, and we're very ha- happy to have him uh, on our show today. Chris Conrad, welcome. Well, well, thank you for this opportunity to speak to your listeners, and uh, thank you everyone out there who's interested in the subject of cannabis. You've put a lot of work in this. Hey, I've got a quick question. What? So you do court um, medical marijuana? Do you, what do you what 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 do you do when you go to the court? When you go to court, what kind of stuff do you do? Well, a lot of times uh, we try to not have to go to court, of course. Uh, I've done about 1,500 cases and only about 250 where I've actually had to testify. So uh, most of the time we I actually analyze the police reports and uh, evidence against an individual, and we can usually uh, get them an approved uh, agreement with uh, the courts to get the charges dropped or something like that. But essentially what I do is I'm brought in to level the playing field by giving a um, an objective appraisal of the of the evidence that the police have, and then uh, trying to find alternative explanations for why people have things. One example, the most clear, is that uh, if an officer finds someone with marijuana and a scale, they will say they must be selling marijuana. That's what they use a scale for. Otherwise, you don't need a scale to consume marijuana. And I point out things like, well, people use scales to weigh the marijuana they just bought. They use scales to uh, measure out how much they may be carrying with them at a given time. They may be using a scale to measure uh, marijuana they put in a food item. So there are plenty of other reasons why a person would have a scale. And so uh, if a jury hears that, if the cop just says, well, there's no reason but selling marijuana, then they're going to have one opinion. But once they hear that there's all these other uses, then how can they be sure that that's what it's being intended for? And that's what I do is I bring a a level of doubt because I'm skeptical about police evidence. (laughs) Yeah. Hey, do you do harvest estimates also, that sort of stuff, yield estimates? 
Yeah, as a matter of fact, that's probably one of the most important things is that the police will say, oh, every plant produces a pound of marijuana. And so then I go through and, and, and you know, I've gotten plants, as, as some of your growers probably know, you might end up with a quarter of an ounce on a plant, not a pound. Sure. And so uh, that becomes a very important part of our discussion in court is how much its garden is actually going to yield. Uh, because the police pretty much say, you know, everybody's garden is the biggest garden they've ever seen. Max. It's most sophisticated. It's going to be enough marijuana to supply the world for the rest of our lives. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Millions of dollars in street value. <laughs> exactly. So I go in there and I say, well, actually, you know, when they waited, it was wet and three-quarters of the weight is water, and then they didn't clean it, so therefore almost half the weight is stock, and then about half what's left is really uh, leaf and not usable, so getting with, you know, 7% of what the cops said at the beginning. And, and that can really affect, uh, again, judge or jury's opinion when they realize that the police have exaggerated the garden yield by um, a factor of 14. Oh, uh, yeah. Wow. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's, and that's average. It, it ge- that generally happens that way, huh? That's grossly exaggerated. Yeah, but then actually the general range is uh, somewhere around seven times. They usually say it's about seven times as great. It's somewhere between four and ten Jeez. times as great. As what, it's rarely – it's rare that they uh, exaggerate it by less than four times. Wow. <laughs> Talking about giving people a piece of reality, huh? It's, so, I mean, yeah, yeah, exactly. so many people just glance over that and think that – that that is authority and, and that that's really what's what's happening. You know, it's interesting. And then the, there's hardly ever any corrections in the media about about those sort of uh, errors. Exactly. And, uh, and you know, I, I, I think that this is one of my um, personal challenges I have not accomplished yet is that uh, we have these law enforcement agents that give what's called the police officer special training or post training. And they're the ones who tell the cops there's a pound of plant and so forth, even though they, they – the DEA's own studies have showed that it's not true at all. And so, uh, you know, I don't believe that those agencies should be allowed to teach police because they've been giving them false information for so long uh, that I just don't think that they have any credibility as instructors. Uh, so one of my personal goals is to actually get the California Narcotics Officers Association and these other groups that train police to what we call test a lie. Uh, what, what I mean by that is if a police officer gets on the stand, he says, every plant puts out a pound of marijuana, that's a lie. If he gets on the stand and says, I was trained that every plant puts out a pound of marijuana, that's not a lie because they did train him that. They just trained him a lie. So, uh, you know, my position is they shouldn't be training people in lies at all. They should not give them that option of how to make it something which is not true sound like it is true just by adding the word, I was trained that. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a form of, like, political socialization. We've been talking about this on the show the past several weeks, actually. It's really interesting how we're seeing all these, like, law, uh, retired law enforcement um, people coming out um, against prohibition. Um, but, but it seems like while people are in law enforcement, generally it's really hard for them to have any sort of different viewpoint on, and they all seem to sort of follow a, a line. And, and um, why, why, do you, why do you think that is? Why, why is it so difficult for someone to speak out against prohibition while they're actually involved with law enforcement still? Well, the fact that they can lose their job is probably the main consideration on that, uh, especially if they were to do that in uniform, if they say that they uh, think that the marijuana laws are wrong in a public forum. Uh, however, talking to cops in general, because so one of the things I do um, is, of course, I spend a lot of time talking to police uh, as an expert witness, and uh, particularly the police who run the um, the storage areas and stuff like that, and, uh, and also street cops and things. And, and what I found is there's a huge dichotomy between uh, what the official police positions are and what the real police in the street are saying. A lot of the police consider that marijuana thing is a big waste of their time. They'll all say that, you know, believe me, it's, they, they would rather deal with somebody who's high on marijuana than somebody who's high on alcohol. They know that alcohol is the real problem-causing drug. Uh, the people who run the uh, 
the laboratories where they have to keep track of evidence. They hate the marijuana stuff because, you know, look at this way. They're trying to keep track of blood samples, bullets, uh, you right. know, things that are involved with really serious crimes. And then all of a sudden they bring in uh, 150 pounds of wet marijuana that these guys have to deal with. Well, that kind of blow their whole day. Oh, yeah. You know? I didn't even... Was and so like, they, <laughs> wet marijuana? So like, just chop down wet marijuana for these guys to deal with? That's terrible. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, they'll <laughs> just dump it on them. And, and, and then these guys have to, like, then stop everything they're doing. And so they, I rightfully feel that it interferes with their ability to do their job. And, and the police on the street, too. In fact, I, I was talking to one officer who's saying that, you know, uh, he hates doing marijuana cases. He just, I, I just hate doing these marijuana cases. I'm like, well, like, well I can understand that. And he's like, well, you know, the thing is, is that, like, if somebody's car is stolen you get it back from them, they, they're happy. If someone's getting, you know, getting beat up and you come there and you stop the fight, they're happy. If someone, you know, whatever it is, uh, you know, most of their work, when the cop shows up, they're the hero and everybody loves them. It's like, thank God the cop is here. That's going to solve the problem. He says, and then you do a marijuana case. The neighbors are cursing at you. <laughs> you know, you've got all the right. kids in the family all looking at you like a monster. Uh, you know, they, they feel like, what am I even doing this for? You know, and then there's no, no one appreciates it because no one wants it. Basically, no one wants the cops out there ruining people's lives over marijuana, and they feel that. And, and you know, kind of part of their goal of being police is they, they really – a lot of them, they want to be heroic you know, figures. They want to be saving people. They want to be helping people. And then they're put in this position where their job is to screw somebody's life up. Sure. Yeah. It's, it's a, that's a very valuable perspective to get because I, I do as little talking to police as I possibly can. So it's good to hear that, that when you get them in a private conversation, you can, you can actually learn about, you know, that they're not, that they're not all just like basically completely brainwashed by, you know, the official stance of the police and the government. So it's good to hear. And you look, and you look at who is really behind this thing. It's politicians, it's the narcotics police, you know, it's these, uh, the prison guard, you know, because of course, they like uh, having marijuana people in there because marijuana prisoners are fairly docile. A lot of times they have like, skills, so they're good for prison labor, uh, which is also known as slave labor, of course. So sure. from the uh, drug war and industrial complex point of view, marijuana smokers are some of the most valuable people for them to arrest because uh, a lot of times they're successful individuals. They have assets that the police can then seize from them, their home, their you know businesses, their uh-huh. life savings and stuff. You know, your average crack addict on the street doesn't have that stuff. So, uh, you know, why would you want to arrest that person? <laughs> they don't have any skills that can be used in prison labor. They don't, they're just going to be a problem in prison. So, so you know, they, they're, the, as far as the, uh, the institution of the drug war is concerned, uh, which is, I believe, this gross institutionalized injustice, which is uh, devouring our society, cannibalizing some of our best citizens, uh, the fact that that's out there uh, poised over us all, um, and, and they have to put them in the veneer that somehow they're doing positive or good uh, and of course uh, you know they're really not once people understand you know even forgetting the marijuana issue just what has happened with the suppression of industrial hemp and what that has done to our country uh, is a good enough reason myself to end the drug war, let alone the corrupting influence it's had upon law enforcement. Yeah. Um, it's, so I'm going to uh, let's let's get into Prop 19 with, uh, kind of along those lines. H- how much do you think we're going to save a year? in uh, law enforcement just in the state of California if Prop 19 passes? Well, there's going to be about 70,000 fewer arrests uh, as far as what that really means uh, in terms of individuals. Um, uh, you know, I don't know how much it's costing to arrest those individuals, uh, but in terms of their lives, it's really going to mean it make a big difference, you know, uh, because these arrests, you end up with a misdemeanor, which then shows up on your job record and things like that, making it harder to get work and things like that. Uh, the We have... Um, 
I think somewhere in the neighborhood of 7,000 marijuana prosecutions a year or something like that. I'm not totally sure where that number came from, though, so I, I wouldn't rely upon it really effectively. But they say that the cost of prosecuting a case runs somewhere between twenty-five dollars to $150,000 uh, per case for the state. Then, of course, the defendant is paying a similar amount of money. Uh, for their own defense, um, you know, so or or sometimes the state is paying. When you get these hundred thousand dollar cases, a lot of times that would be because the prosecution uh, is paying for the prosecution, but the public defender is paying for the defense. So the state pays for both sides of it. But um, you know, it's going to be in in the uh, in in the tens of millions, if not the hundreds of millions of dollars a year that's really saved. Uh, and more importantly, though, is that we take those resources and direct them towards really serious crimes. You know, the police instead of trying to round up people for smoking a joint, they're going to be spending that time trying to get people for breaking and entering homes, stealing cars, you know, violent crimes, robberies, things like that. And, and so there's this uncountable benefit uh, that doesn't have a direct financial effect. People may be not getting robbed as much. That could be a good thing. Sure. You just actually, I was just thinking of that as you were speaking, actually, I was wondering if it'll have an effect on crime rate overall in California and how drastic it could be. You know, there's haven't been any sort of studies or projections on that, but interesting potential, I guess. Um, I when you go into the courts, you, you realize how much of our court time is being spent on these cases, uh, marijuana cases. Uh, and then when these violent offenders get in there, a lot of times they're just like, uh, they just uh, brushed off easily. It's like, okay, well, let that guy go. We've got this big, big trial coming up. Well, the trial is a marijuana case, and the guy that they're letting go is the guy who mugged the little old lady, you know? Yeah. So the values of the court system have been corrupted, I believe, by this, uh, the marijuana laws. Yeah, yeah, this is a this is a huge change uh, that we're 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 closing in on. It's coming up really close. Um, I, I saw that you had did a had a discussion debate whatever with uh, uh, Dragonfly. How did that go? And um, she's uh, what do you what do you think about what she the basic uh, propaganda her 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 point of view? How do you feel about what she's kind of spreading right now? I think that it is a really terrible thing what she's doing because she publishes a lot of stuff that's not true. The first one I caught her on was she said that it created new felonies, the initiative, which is not true. Uh, so then I criticized her for that. I said that was uh, that was a lie for her to say that. So then she took that off of her website. Then she said, how dare Chris Conrad attack me and say I'm a liar. It's not even there. Well, she took it off. Well, that's fine with me that she took it off. Uh, but then to attack me, <laughs> you know, that's that's kind of uh, sad. And then in the L.A. Gem magazine, they have her saying that uh, – uh, you can't amend the initiative. Well, obviously, uh, Section 5 is amendments that allows the state to do exactly that. Uh, and so over and over again, I keep catching her with these things that are just untrue, and, and I have a real problem with that, you know, especially when she, her point of view is she says, well, read the initiative and you'll see blah, blah, blah. Uh, believe me, I've read the initiative, and I find that she's uh, completely wrong about so many things. It's, it's, it's difficult to debate someone who makes up so much stuff. You know, like she's got this whole thing about how uh, she says that um, – uh, George Soros is funding the initiative in order to get GMO modified marijuana. Well, George Soros is not even funding the initiative. So then, the, the, but the, then we find ourselves arguing about whether or not it protects GMO marijuana, which is not even in there anywhere. You know, uh, just a completely made-up thing. And, and and I feel that uh, as a journalist, that she has shown uh, absolutely. Uh, a tragic lack of credibility and uh, integrity in terms of you know reporting the facts and, and it's, uh, so therefore I spend a lot of time trying to explain that things are simply not true that she says uh, and that I don't think that that's a reasonable way to be debating it especially if she claims she is for legalization uh, it, everything I've seen has been status quo Hello? kind of stuff right I'm sorry about that it's been it's she's, it's she's happy it seems like she's happy with the status quo where we're at with 215 yeah it, 
I mean, right. Uh huh. She seems more. Let's put her on one factor alone. If she is concerned about the medical marijuana issue, why has she not done anything to stop Steve Cooley from getting elected? Sure. Um, that is the single biggest threat to medical marijuana here in California. And then the other thing is, so why does she keep saying that the initiative uh, affects medical marijuana when, in fact, it's extremely clearly established that it does not do that? Yeah. I read the bill, and that was very clear to me the very first time I read the bill. And um, I, I don't. That's the one that I don't make that doesn't make sense to me. Um, yeah. Has she continued? I mean, over and over again, her points are always pointing to it ruins two fifteen. It stops. It kills your rights that you have in two fifteen for this and for that. And mm-hmm. and that's been uh, that's been one of the things that I kind of am driven by a little bit. I'm like, it just doesn't make too much sense to me. Um, speaking and, of... And she kind of preys upon the fact that people don't understand the way the law works. For example, uh, just on that point, sure. when we were drafting uh, Proposition 19, we spoke to the attorneys. How do we keep it from changing the medical marijuana laws? And what they said was actually rather simple, that uh, the medical marijuana laws have uh, specific statutes. That as long as we don't change those statutes, it doesn't change the medical marijuana laws. Moreover, it creates specific classes of individuals a qualified patient, a caregiver, a collective. And so as long as we didn't mention any of those things, it wouldn't change it. But that wasn't enough for us. We went and we put it into the purposes twice by statute that does not change them. Then we went in the ballot argument. We said it doesn't change it in the ballot argument. So if the courts ever have any doubt whatsoever, they would still have to look at the purposes and the ballot argument, and they would see that it doesn't change it. And so, uh, you know, it, it couldn't really uh, be much more clear than that. Um, you know, but yet she says that because it doesn't specifically exclude them, that therefore they are included. But that's kind of like saying, well, you know, we have a traffic law that says you can't drive more than 65 miles an hour on a freeway. Well, that means that if there's a jet flying overhead, that the pilot is now in trouble because he's going more than 65 miles an hour. It's like, no, it doesn't say jet pilots can't go 65. It says people driving their cars can't go over 65, you know? And that's essentially what the initiative does. It doesn't say that medical marijuana patients have to follow these rules. It says that adults over 21 now have new rights and new freedoms, and that includes the right to lawfully use marijuana, which, you know, despite all these claims by uh, Dragonfly and other people, they make it sound like we're living this world, I call it Dragonfly land, where you can do whatever you want. <laughs> oh, all yeah. Da, da, you know. And the police don't leave, and the police are leaving everyone alone. Believe me, you know, I'm in court every day trying to get people's lives together that have done the very thing that she says it's okay to do in California and you won't get in trouble for her. Uh, she's not in court doing that. Smoke so it's easy for anywhere where cigarettes are allowed, you can do is what she says. <laughs> so, so Chris, and, and there's, there's, is it true? Am I getting a hundred dollar ticket and a misdemeanor? You yeah, can do that. Right. Right. <laughs> so you're generally telling us that there's really no truth to what all these, uh, high ranking, uh, criminal justice officials are telling us that, you know, we're not really out there arresting anybody for minor cannabis offenses. Anyway, nobody's getting harassed or hassled. It's not that big of a deal. Yeah. Well, given the fact that, uh, something around 800,000 people a year are arrested nationally, 90 plus percent of them are for simple possession. And here in California, we've got 70,000 plus, uh, no, not quite 70,000, excuse me, almost 70,000 arrested for, um, and the vast majority of them are for simple possession. It just shows that those, that's just, uh, yeah, Not that's a big deal. A real credible <laughs> number. But even more than that, it's like saying, well, the police aren't enforcing the laws anyway, so who cares? You know, it's like, yeah. well, then why do we have a law that the police aren't enforcing? That tells you right there that we should do something about it, and that is to get it out of there. It, it just gives police a, an excuse to harass people that they otherwise would not have. And, in fact, that's mm-hmm. one of the reasons that I've, I've heard police say that they do want it to retain the, the, the laws against marijuana. They'll say, they're these guys that they know they're bad guys and they don't have any other way to get them, so they go after them for marijuana. 
well, come on. <laughs> you know, if marijuana is the only thing they're doing, they're not that bad of guys. You know, if they really, they should be going after the really bad guys. That's the whole point. Not that they should have some sneaky way of getting in on people that they think might be bad. You know, and that's kind of what they're saying is we don't like these people, so therefore, and we don't have any evidence against them, so therefore, we should be able to arrest them for marijuana and anybody else, by the way, for marijuana that we feel like arresting too. Yeah, I I got a, a question. Hey, what do you think about the um it not uh, the part of the bill that ta- or the initiative that talks about uh, it not being consumed around minors? Is that aimed at being even meaning in your, your home, or do you think that that is kind of potentially setting up to where there could be like you know smoke lounges, obviously for people over twenty one, et cetera, things like that? Well, how serious is that part of the initiative? Well, the first off, uh, you're already not to be supposed to be smoking marijuana anyway uh you know and this is remember this is for non-medical whatever if they if people find some way that they think the law says it's different for medical users that that's okay but currently you know people are not supposed to be smoking around minors anyway this simply clarifies that point and says it doesn't legalize smoking around minors it doesn't add any new penalties it doesn't change anything about it you know it doesn't uh, make it a, a, any kind of a more serious offense. It just basically says for the record of all the things that we're now legalizing smoking around kids is not one of them okay. uh to tell you the truth, one of the things that we found uh, doing the polls and the focus groups is that this whole thing about smoking around kids is probably the main uh, – one of the main arguments that our opponents against legalization have that has the most clout with parents. Uh, we have to win. We have to have the votes of parents to do that. The only way to do that was to say that we are taking this issue seriously as well. Now, um, you know, if you talk to parents today, they're not going to be concerned about uh, if they smoke pot around the kids. Actually, the parents that I know said that they're glad about that. They are the parents I know who smoke marijuana say they don't even smoke around the kids anyway, and they don't really plan on doing it once this, you know, once it comes along. Uh, but they also don't expect the police to be popping their heads in their door to check on it, so they're not really that worried about it. Uh, but but moreover, this is really more aimed at so that if uh, for the parents who say, you know, my teenagers are going to be visiting somebody, that person smokes marijuana, they don't want that person smoking, they don't want their teenage kid to be subjected to that going to the neighbor's house and the neighbor's over 21 smoking marijuana, you know, and I think mm-hmm. parents do have a right to do that. Now, whether you or I think that that's what we would do as parents, that's a different matter. Uh, however, I would say that the, the fact that it didn't specify uh, a difference for parents and the family or the home or something like that, uh, the reason it didn't do is because it was so complicated to do that, that uh, the authors of the initiative felt it would uh, dilute the message, which is that we don't want this in the hands of kids. Sure. And mm-hmm. so... Uh, you know, once you say we don't want the hands of kids except in this case, 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 people are going to say, well, that's not really doing it. Uh, however, it does allow the legislature to reduce restrictions. And so Tom Amiano, the assembly member from uh, San Francisco, has uh, already put together a bill that exempts the family home. Oh, okay. or the parents, excuse me, around their children is a separate category. And so, you know, this is exactly why the initiative was designed to give the legislature the ability to do that fine tuning. When you write an initiative and you want to get to the voters, you have to write it in broad strokes to get the support that you want. Once it's in the initiative, uh, has, once the initiative is passed and it's in the hands of the legislature, they can do the fine tuning in a way that you can't really do in a, in a big debate like you do for an election. Like most, indi- I mean, they they regulate all industries, so it's it's left in the hands of legislators to some degree. I mean, it's interesting right now, you're starting to see um, local areas uh, starting to draft proposals for how they're going to deal with Prop 19 if it passes. I know Humboldt County has started the process up here. Um, are you seeing that? Are you seeing that happening all over the state now, kind of? Uh, yeah, I, I don't know that all over the state, but they actually the authors of the initiative, uh, part of their legal team is also putting together uh, some draft 
ordinances and so forth for people to get in there. Because one of the things that we really want to see, we want to see like in Holland how you can go into a coffee shop and smoke marijuana on site. That's something we really, really want here in California. Definitely. Uh, in fact, uh, Richard Lee, when I met him 20-plus uh, years ago, one of the things that we talked about was we wanted to have Amsterdam in America. California, so, the biggest Amsterdam so in the world. <laughs> so for the past uh, 20 years, we've been working very much on that, and that's why we uh, – you know, you hear Oaksterdam is a combination of Amsterdam and Oakland. We got Measure right. Z passed by the voters there. We have the city council coming in with uh, licensing larger grows as well as authorizing smaller grows. And, uh, and with this initiative, uh, the city has already uh, set itself up to have a dual tax standard, a lower tax for medical use and a higher tax for uh, non-medical use by adults. So, uh, yeah, we are seeing this happening, and a lot of people have their eye on that whole thing. And one of the really critical things, and a lot of times people will criticize the initiative for giving so much authority to the local governments, we feel that this is a good way of keeping, keeping it from getting too big. You know, mm-hmm. uh, and making sure that the local people get to have a voice in how it is in their community, because Humboldt's going to have one approach that may not fly real well in Kern County sure. uh, and, and things like that. So, you know, the local communities have to have a voice, and they, you know, you can't legally say that they can't regulate their businesses anyway. Uh, some of these uh, 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 people in the movement seem to feel like we should have made something that says marijuana can't be taxed, marijuana people don't need to get licenses, marijuana people don't have to pay mm-hmm. you know wages of other people, other stuff that you know we really couldn't do that. And uh, and so you know the local governments get to make those decisions and to make it reflect their local community, and that means that the local marijuana community will be able to have a direct say in the way that is is uh, the initiative is processed in that community. So to get upset with Richard Lee for not having done something, you know, uh, I say it's up to them. It wasn't up to Richard Lee to change the whole state. Richard Lee, uh, the initiative is designed to. Uh, Legalize marijuana for everybody, adult in the state of California over the age of 21, to have and possess and to cultivate small amounts, and then to create an opportunity for the state governments to go ahead and create the licensed uh, regulated distribution system. One of the things that our attorneys told us about the initiative is if we said, okay, we're going to pass an initiative that now says that every city and town in, uh, in, in California has to allow sales of marijuana, that's a direct conflict with federal law, and it would be unconstitutional to do that. But what we can do is say, we're getting rid of the state laws. You guys can do this. We can't change federal law, which is what the initiative says. That is, that's mm-hmm. constitutional, and that's where we drew the line. And that's why, that's why people think we cannot be sued, right, by the federal government? For this? Yes, because uh, – and actually, you know, the interesting thing is that a lot of this case law was already settled around uh, the medical marijuana laws, uh, the, the critical ones being um, that uh, there was the – OCBC decision that said that uh, you can't use um, medical necessity as a defense against distributing marijuana. Then the second was a race decision that said that it doesn't matter whether marijuana is medical or otherwise, the federal law, uh, the federal government can ban it, but the state can legalize it. And then we had the uh, California, excuse me, the San Diego versus California decision last year, uh, where the city of, uh, San, the county of San Diego was trying to overturn Prop 215 NSB 420, and the court uh, said basically that um, the state law and the federal law don't have to be the same. They're separate jurisdictions. They can have their own separate laws, and they cannot be required, the state cannot be required to do exactly what the federal government wants it to do, that the state still has its own authority over criminal laws. So uh, in, in the, not, the thing that I'm pointing at is that in none of those cases that say that, oh, marijuana that's medical is different from marijuana that's not medical. Hmm. So we believe that all those rulings that have allowed medical marijuana to continue, they cannot now come back and say, oh, wait a second, we just realized that well, all that stuff we said about it doesn't matter whether it's medical or not. We were wrong about that. You know, the federal right. government's not going to do that. 
So they're really in the same position. They can't go now and say, well, there is a difference after uh, 70 years of saying there is no difference. Sure, sure. Um, uh, I'm going to back up just a bit here on, on, and ask you a question about Richard Lee. Um, in the um, Up here, a lot of people have really kind of like tried to demonize him and make it like – for some reason, you know, he's putting so much money and effort into this because he is going to um, be the one to capitalize off of it completely and take over the entire industry and uh, make everything so corporate and, and you know, basically take away what we have up here. Um, what, what do you, why do you think that people have tried so hard to turn him into a villain? Um, what, how do you feel about Richard Lee? Well, um, I think Richard Lee is a really a great guy uh, and has done something that uh, it really bothers me that I know of uh, because of my core work uh, particularly. I've run into a lot of cases where people had um, hundreds of thousands of millions of dollars of cash sitting around that were marijuana growers. You know, Not to say there's a lot and lots and lots of them. I know most growers are not making anything like that. But just the fact that these people have made all this money for so long, uh, and there's big warehouse growers all over the state that I get uh, dragged in to take a look at when they get busted or big fields of marijuana growing all over the state. And now uh, that Richard is um, taking his own money, which he made, uh, and put it into creating a law that makes marijuana legal for everybody, and it increases the competition that he will have to face as a business person, uh, and then they try to uh, say that he's a bad person. And any of those guys who's made millions of dollars off of marijuana over the years, they could have written and put a bill on the ballot themselves the same way Richard did. Nothing ever stopped them from doing that except their own greed. And sure. that's where I see the difference is that Richard, he didn't let the money and the uh, special privileges that he has accrued by working with the city government and by following state law here in Oakland, California, he's not let that go to his head. He didn't forget the fact that there's still people getting busted for very small personal private gardens and people getting ticketed for driving around the state and people getting pulled up because of over uh, and the car search because the cop finds a little bit of marijuana and so forth. He didn't forget or abandon those people. He came in with an initiative that protects them, and it gives only the option for other businesses to come out against that will compete with him. I shouldn't say come out against him because uh, the idea is, of course, is that he believes that competition is good. And so this initiative is very much written from the point of view of somebody who doesn't think that everyone should have to be stuck with a collective kind of a socialistic, uh, if you don't mind me sure. saying, so a collective organization, uh, that there should be other options like privately owned businesses and like uh, um, companies that specialize in all these things. Um, I think that this whole thing about demonizing him, uh, it, it comes from two directions. The first is that, you know, I, I would just say Dennis Prone is really jealous of Richard Lee. Yeah. Uh, How so? And this is this has fueled a lot of what's going on right now. Well, uh, Dennis, uh, you know, because Dennis is he's been treated as the guy, mm-hmm. the guy who got marijuana legalized for so long. He's been really kind of irrelevant to the movement for the past ten years or so. Frankly, uh, he was against SB 420, uh, and not only just SB 420 passed, but as a movement, we have gone like made huge, huge gains where he was just kind of sitting on the sides. Uh, and then I think um, basically he had the stroke this year, and uh, and then Richard Lee all, files the initiative, and all of a sudden all the news media is not talking about Dennis Perron anymore; they're talking about Richard Lee. And so, so Dennis kind of, I, I you know, I, I think that he's feeling his own mortality. And he's afraid that he's going to be supplanted in the history books, you know, by Richard Lee. And so I think that's one piece of it. 
uh, and Dennis has a really a lot of influence, and more than I ever thought uh, in terms of the the, uh, the growing community, uh, because he hasn't had a lot of influence in the activist community, uh, but apparently he has a lot of influence in the um, dispensary and the uh, growing community that's been a factor on it. Do you think that's what kind of just really because of his on? just because just simply because of who he is and that he helped pass to Prop Two Fifteen, basically give, gives him that? Well, yeah. I think it has to do with, uh, and, and this also goes into the, your, your original question, which is that we have a society that's based upon this hero culture. If you look at our movies, we always see, oh yeah, you know, there's uh, the Arnold Schwarzenegger character who comes in and rescues everybody at the end, or some heroic individual who comes in, uh, and and so uh, we also have a demon culture here, you know? Yeah. There's always somebody there, some horrible person like Saddam Hussein, oh my God, you know, and then uh, it turns out Obama has Hussein his name, so therefore they try to use that against him, even though there's no relation whatsoever, um, and, and so forth. And, and so it just, one of the unfortunate things about the way our politics works in this country is that we look for heroes and we look for uh, demons, and we don't really pay attention to the fact that the work is being done by people who are neither heroes nor demons, but are just flawed human beings. And so that included Richard and it included uh, Dennis as well in that regard. Um, so I think what we're seeing there is that uh, you know that it, it, it similar to like a, a Jack Herer that people talk about Jack Herer is that he single-handedly had created the whole hemp movement you know and the fact of the matter is that uh, believe me I, I know I was in there creating the hemp movement myself <laughs> and, and it wasn't just Jack but you know but we had, it's so much easier to just look at an individual and say oh that individual heroically symbolizes all these different things that we like or that we don't like um, and then uh, you know, the reality is much more complicated. And so I think that this is just a way of trying – attempting to demonize Richard is just a way of trying to make people not look at what the initiative really says. It's a sideshow distraction sure. uh, because then once you say, oh, but why don't I trust Richard, then you don't trust the whole initiative. Whereas uh, in reality, if you read the initiative, you find actually it's, it's very carefully written and it's designed to uh, meet the interest not only of the marijuana consuming and producing uh, community, but it's also written to – take into consideration the interests of the voters and society at large. And, and one of the things a lot of people forget about this is this is not an initiative that's designed to uh, make it so that illegal growers are now protected from here on out. It's really to protect the consumer. Sure. And the, the private personal growers and stuff. That's people. It's like just like the Prop 215 wasn't designed to uh, end the whole drug war. It was designed to get the medical marijuana user out of the bat field of battle. Now we're saying let's get the personal adult user out of the field. And by the way, let's open up a pathway that will legalize the big growers, the commercial sellers. The uh, and and it does it in a way where it's going to be phased in over time. It's like you know, it's not going to happen overnight that no. all of this state we're going to have all these shops opening. What we're going to have instead is that. Uh, uh, a lot of the state, it, the small growers are going to be in the same position as they are now, except that they'll have a little bit more of a, of a defense argument about that even though they didn't have a doctor's note, that it was still okay to do what they were doing. But if you can grow out of a 25-square-foot garden, if you can grow um, – suppose you're a decent grower, you're going to get six pounds a year out of that. Most people are not going to get that. They're going to get somewhere around you know, two or three pounds a year out of that garden. Mm-hmm. But a uh, – but uh, you know, suppose you're doing good uh, and you're getting six pounds and you only smoke two pounds. That can still give you four pounds a year that you could sell. And yet, you would, if the police come to your home, it's you got the 25 squid area and so forth that will protect kind of a, a small person who's using it to supplement their income a little bit. They're not going to be affected that much. It's the guys who have the big house grows and the big warehouse grows. <clears throat> they're going to be affected. They're, but the way they're going to be affected is it's not legal now and it won't be legal then. So it's not really even a difference to them, to tell you the truth. People don't understand this. It's just a modest change to allow. Adults 
that freedom which has been taken away from us back in 1916 to restore that to us and to create the opportunity for the state to normalize the marijuana business like it does other businesses. That's what the initiative really does. Absolutely, and that's a huge step towards lettuce, right, Jamie? Yeah, you betcha. Jamie, you Jamie, betcha. Jamie's got a lettuce philosophy. He, he can't wait until uh, the days when marijuana is, uh, is kind of looked at like lettuce. You think we'll ever get there? Um, <laughs> hey, yeah, set actually, your goals I, I, I'm pretty sure... <laughs> Actually, I'm pretty sure that we are going to get there because, uh, you know, people once it's a step by step process. We have to deal with the fact that we've got almost 100 years of demonization of marijuana that we have to get through in society. And we've made huge strides. I mean, you know, compared to where this was 20 years ago when I first got involved in this issue, to see what we have today in terms of uh, not only the law, but in terms of social acceptance, it's incredible. Uh, the more people become aware of cannabis and how beneficial it is and uh, how safe it is, the less. They, our uh, opponents are going to be able to create that uh, hysterical fear that they need to fuel the drug war. So, you know, I, I really do believe that we're going to be in a position similar to what they have maybe in, um, in Switzerland right now, for example. If you have low THC marijuana, you can just grow it in your yard uh, just because it tra- attracts birds. Birds love to hide in the branches. They love to eat the seeds. So, you know, uh, it, as long as it's not more than a higher percentage than 3% uh, or something, I believe it is over there, that you can actually just grow marijuana plants in your yard that will be considered marijuana here in wow. the U.S., but there they're not considered marijuana. They're that, considered hemp. That's kind of cool. I hadn't and then even thought of that see, yet. Like as a... and, and then one of the big fears is, well, right now, if somebody sees a marijuana plant in your backyard, they might you know, break over your fence, then <laughs> steal it. They might you know, call the cops on you. They might uh, come into your house with guns and uh, do uh, uh, you know, rob your house like that to get the marijuana. But now, if they don't know if that's there to feed the birds with industrial hemp seed, or whether it's, you know, the one house has it for that, and the next house has it for the marijuana that they're growing for their own use and so forth. It's like, then how does the thief even know where to go, you know? And so that in itself is going to reduce a lot of that kind of things because it's just going to become a normal thing. I I really feel like our generation and this past generation for the past 100 years since uh, the drug war really began, uh, we've been deprived of this experience that is just – inherent to the human condition since 10,000 BC, which is to be in a field of hemp and to see those plants, how beautiful they are, and be surrounded with it, and all the little wildlife that loves to hang out in those bushes. And the reason I say that is because I've been to Switzerland, I've been to Holland, I know what it's like to be in a hemp field, and it's just a beautiful feeling. But it's a feeling that almost nobody in this country has been able to have. And this initiative allows – Prop 19 will allow uh, localities to uh, allow industrial hemp farming. Uh, And so just that in itself is a reason enough to vote for it, I believe, because I think that in the Central Valley that there's uh, areas where um, we're going to find that people are going to want to grow hemp. And we're going to get to have that experience again of seeing what it's like to be surrounded by that beautiful emerald glow and hear the birds chirping as you stand in the middle of a hemp field. And I really look forward to that. Can you imagine when you go up to Humboldt? Mendocino County uh, 10 years from now, and instead of going to a cornfield maze, you get to go off to a hemp field maze. Yeah, That's I can imagine it. I can definitely imagine it. It'd be perfect timing right around this time of year, too. Right now, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can imagine uh-huh. that. That's going to be awesome. <laughs> Wow. Well, I, I really one, – one of my main goals really is to actually to – and the reason I'm saying this because I'm thinking the North Coast era, having driven through there, I, it just rips my heart apart to see what they've done in terms of deforestation and clear-cutting uh, up in the mountains there. And uh, you know, knowing how important hemp could be, uh, not marijuana, but in the hemp form, to uh, prevent erosion and help to restore the, the, the growth of the woodlands there and to support the wildlife when the forest has been cut down, uh, the, the, the ability of hemp to – 
uh, heal the kind of logging damage that's been done up in the north coast. It's, it's just, uh, you know, that's so incredibly important to me that we get it back there. So it's, to me, it's not just a marijuana issue. There's a lot more to it here. I think we're trying to restore an, an industry that will create jobs that don't have anything to do with smoking marijuana. They have to do with uh, making homes and food and clothing and housing and textiles and plastic and things like that. And, and, you know, but again, it's a step-by-step process. First, we have to get the stigma of marijuana away. Then we can see the full full development and fruition of the hemp movement. I think we all agree with you that it is a beautiful Mm -hmm. vision and that that this is a big, this is a big moment in history. And um, we're, we're, we've, we've been supporting Prop 19 um, on this show and we'll continue to do mm-hmm. so and urge, uh, urge, urge voters to show up and vote yes on prop 19. Uh, Chris, I think it'd be good for you to hear that. I, I do talk to a lot of growers and, and a lot of the youngest growers are definitely going to vote no on this, but I've talked to, uh, many middle-aged voters, um, who were against it initially and are starting to swing towards yes here at the end, which, uh, I'm, I'm pretty happy about. I think that it makes sense to, uh, to, to a lot more people and, and, and the industry's slowly starting to accept it and realize it's, it's going to become a part of our reality here soon. Um, well, I, you know, I, I think that one of the things that people have to realize when they go into that voting booth is, you know, do you really want to vote to keep yourself an outlaw for the rest of your life? If you're making money from selling marijuana, do you really want to vote to keep your customers criminals? Uh, you know, do you really want to vote that, Urine testing should still be the standard for uh, people who uh, to get a job. You know, uh, in fact, this initiative adds something which we don't have anywhere else, which is it bans discrimination against people who use marijuana legally. Right. We don't have that for medical marijuana right now. Right. So, yeah, and then uh, the other thing is that affirmative defense, people really are not paying attention to the fact that this initiative doesn't say you can only have an ounce. It doesn't say you can only have 25 square feet. It says that in that amount, you have a safe harbor from arrest. If you have more than that, you have a legal defense in court that it's not a criminal act anymore. You don't have that now. It's a felony for growing marijuana without a doctor's note. And if they don't, if the police don't believe your doctor's note is valid, they still charge you with a felony. So you know, uh, the, the the notion that somehow uh, this is any kind of a, of a step back is just silly. This clearly is a major step forward. And uh, and you know, I, I think that anybody who's motive for voting against this or for opposing this is because they make more money from the fact that it's illegal for them and for their customers to do it. I think they really need to reassess their, uh, their values. Definitely. We, I agree, I agree completely. It's a a utilitarian decision here and the right thing to do. Um, Hey, do you have any, any, you want to plug any websites or any sort of media? Uh, uh, Yeah, but can I, just one other thing related to that though, is that, um, we are all very concerned about the mom and pop growers who are not getting rich off of this, but are just using it to pay their rent and make their have their lives better. You know, get a home, keep their family fed, stuff like that. We are very, very sympathetic to that. There's no intention whatsoever uh, that we're going to walk away and leave these guys, or that this is the ultimate bill that we are ever going to try to get passed in this regard. This is a stepping stone towards. The, fuller legalization. And so, you know, uh, the reason that we like to put the authority into the local community is because we think that's where the mom and the pops are going to have the ability to organize and to protect their interests from the big corporations. It was deliberately done to help out the mom and pop growers. And so for people who are out there saying that this is aimed to hurt the mom and pop growers, I, I just want your listeners to know that is really, really not true at all. This is entirely aimed at uh, 
preparing the ground for a more full level of legalization and that uh, the reason that we are keeping it in the hands of the local communities is because we really, really want to protect the mom and pop growers. Uh, but they do have to survive in the economy, you know. I mean, we sure. can't create this, uh, you know, keeping the drug war going just so the mom and pop growers can get more money per pound for the marijuana they grow. That's not a good enough reason to keep yeah. going either. Sure. I mean, the the first uh, proposal up here in Humboldt County limits outdoor grows to one acre in size. It's just a, a proposal at this point, obviously. But uh, obviously, that that's Humboldt County trying to make it to where there can still be mom and pops because the, there could be many, you know, acre plots all over this county. So that would keep it. Uh, that you know, that's a potential way of keep. I imagine that it, it won't be that small once it once it's finally done. But um, you know. That's yeah, and the other thing that uh, the, your listeners may be interested to know is that the, the idea that somehow these multinational corporations are going to suddenly jump in and take over, mm-hmm. there's a very good reason they're not going to do that, and that reason is the federal government because they all have licenses that involve interactions throughout other states. In order to make a business work here within the paradigm of Prop 19, it would have to be self-contained within the state of California. Sure. You can't ship outside of the state and so forth and so on. So these big corporations, if you look at like Philip Morris and you think of how much money are they making all around the world right now, are they going to give that all up just so they can grow marijuana and sell it within the state of California? No. No. It's like, no. Competing that doesn't product. Make any sense. So the whole idea yeah. that the whole idea that this is what they're secretly waiting for is nonsense. You know, sure. uh, it's they're going to be the people who are cut out of this, and that's exactly by intention of this initiative. We don't want to invite the multinational corporations into California. We want this to be a California that does this. Californians that benefit from it, and California that shows the way to the rest of the world of how it should be done in the future. Yep. Yep. People uh, constantly Monsanto this, Monsanto that. And there's rumors going around that they are uh, that they already own genetics for strains and are bringing them in immediately, and all sorts of propaganda uh, related to the tobacco industry. And I haven't. I mean, just watching the money funnel in, it doesn't funnel in from those companies. Um, and we've talked about that. Yeah, on, exactly. We've talked about that on the show. I mean, they're 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 uh, companies that operate in all fifty states. They can they could be charged. And you're you're absolutely yeah. right. They could lose the whole thing. I mean, if, that would violate the <laughs> commerce clause, direct. Exactly. That whole Monsanto thing, it just cracks me up because, you know, I mean, there's absolutely so nothing to that. It's unbelievable. Uh, okay. You know, and, and yet, you know, and that's the kind of thing where we spend all this time trying to argue that, you know, the Monsanto is not secretly behind us. And all you have to do is look at the books and who paid for this whole thing? Richard Lee. Right. If it was Monsanto, right. shouldn't Monsanto be involved somewhere, you know, some trace of it? And even more ironically, when you do follow the, the, the supposed money line to Monsanto, they say it has to do with George Soros, who did, has not put any money at all into this initiative. But he did fund Prop 215. Sure. So, you know, the whole idea is, oh, well, if Soros can donate to it, it makes it a bad. Well, that was Prop 215, not Prop 19. So, you know, and I don't think Prop 215 is a bad thing, frankly. I'm glad George Soros put money in there, and I wish he would put money into this initiative. Sure. In fact, if you're listening yeah. today, George Soros, please put some money into right. this initiative. Right. <laughs> you know, uh, we're not worried about my. I'm not worried about Montana at all, you know, because it's just not going to, like I said, they it would be it was so stupid for them to get involved with that. They would lose so much money globally that, uh, you know, that whoever was in charge of that decision would be, like, fired immediately, I'm sure. Uh, it's not going to happen. Right. Right. Now, you wanted some websites? Well, yeah. We, we, you know, we were we – were, we're, we're gonna. This was a, a this was a really good interview. You've been our hero today, and we hope we can have you back on sometime in the future. We mm-hmm. really, really appreciate this uh, this discussion today. Uh, we just wanted to give you a chance to plug any websites or media outlets that that uh, you mm-hmm. feel necessary. So, 
Well, just to keep no. it to three, I think people who are interested in following the initiative should go to taxandregulate.org and check out the mm-hmm. fact check page so they can see for themselves exactly what the initiative says. And also I have a rumor control section on there where I, I look at those different rumors and try to find out where do they come from, is there any substance to them. And over and over again, the answer is it came out of these three or four people, and there's no substance at all. That seems to be the standard pattern. Um, the other one is chrisconrad.com to find out about me and my work in terms of uh, as an expert witness, how I might be able to help people up in your uh, part of the state or all sure. over the state who could use have a marijuana problem in court. I, I cannot often be very helpful to them, uh, and they should know about that by chriscondo.com. And then just to get the news, uh, that's the westcoastleaf.com, which is our quarterly newspaper, and uh, you know, uh, we hope everybody gets a chance to read a copy and uh, read our, uh, our articles about Proposition 19, because we've looked into those. Uh, in fact, we have a whole article about um, the, the arguments against it from both the official no campaign and from the, as we call them, the uh, insurgent uh, uh, campaign within the movement. So um, those would be the three I would point people to. And of course, yes, on 19.com. Okay. All right. Well, um, wow. we're going to do this again <laughs> sometime. Mm. Um, yeah, you know, it'd be great to do the one afterwards where we talk about the implications, because one of the things about this initiative is that uh, some of the some of the most beneficial parts of it are things we are, um, it, we don't want to like put too much emphasis on at this stage of the campaign. You know what I mean? Sure. Remember, right. that the, the voters that we're trying to win over right now think that marijuana is a bad thing, and they're just trying to get their heads around the fact that it's okay to allow it to be used. It's not the people who think, oh, right. marijuana is so good that it should be mandatory for people to smoke it in grade school or something like that. So, you know, like we've got these two audiences that what we're trying to get to is – what we're really trying to get is the middle ground of people who are reasonable and just say, look, it's just common mm-hmm. sense. It's been long enough. It's time to change these laws. This is the way to do it, and it gives us the opportunity to improve it from here on out. But it will never, ever, ever again give the legislature the ability to make marijuana illegal, and that is the most important single thing about Prop 19. It makes it legal, and it doesn't allow the legislature to ever make it illegal again. That, Absolutely. my friend, is what Prop 19 is It's going to be a beautiful day, and I think I, I really feel optimistic about it. I've said before I'd, I'd put my cash on it passing. That's how uh, I, I – how well I feel about the polling numbers I've seen, and uh, people just need to show up. It's it's a it's a big deal, people. So show up and vote, and um, vote yes on Prop 19. And uh, we're gonna be talking. It we'll be ta- we will be following the regulatory process and the implications of it passing. And we will we'd love to talk to you about that again too. We're, it's mm-hmm. it's coming up soon. It's gonna be a really really interesting process. So thank you so much, Chris. Well, uh, hopefully any of your uh, listeners who know uh, anything about me know that I have been uh, here for. 20 years in the trenches working mm-hmm. very hard on this. I'm not just going to go away over one vote. Right. Right. R- right. <laughs> that's how I feel too. And there's a lot of us out there and, and um, you know, that's been one of the things it's like all of a sudden everyone that's passionate about this, isn't going to be able to be involved in it. That's crazy. If you love, if you love cannabis, keep loving it. And, 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 uh, and there will be there. It, it's it's going to be a beautiful thing for all of us. So I'm, uh, I'm personally excited. I don't know about you guys, but it's getting close. So, Thanks, Chris. We're definitely going to have to do that again. And, and uh, our listeners, uh, uh, please uh, check out the the, the show notes. Uh, we have a link on there um, of Chris Conrad's debate with Dragonfly. It's definitely worth taking a listen to. Uh, it looks like we got Geraldo to listen to right now. What's going on there? He's his favorite. He's in support of Prop Nineteen, smoking weed. Geraldo, go figure. Nice.
to corroborate Tiffany's story. Prop 19 is going to be on the ballot in California. And I'm delighted about it. And essentially it says you go, go sell pot in stores. And you're going to be able to tax it, and it's going to be above board. We'll see how, how long it stands. Uh, and it's leading in all the polls. President Calderon in Mexico is one of the people who stood up and said, this is unbelievably inconsistent. Mm -hmm. What kind of drug war is this? In fact, uh, here's the quote exactly. I'll do it uh, in the way he would. For me, it reflects a terrible inconsistency in government policies in the United States. I thought you could do it in point? Spanish, or at least with it. Uh, uh, <laughs> we, we, we leave that to you. But I wait, do a minute. Irish wait a minute. First of all, so you're in favor of legalizing pot in California. I am in favor of Proposition 19. I think it is incomplete, and I think it should have had a provision for the taxation of the marijuana that was the ultimate justification, but I think absolutely, Gretchen, I've uh, tested this now uh, in the right it. side of the political spectrum mm -hmm. and the left side of the political spectrum. There's not a liberal, conservative, right, left, red, blue issue. This crosses all lines. Maybe there's an age <laughs> aspect to it, but this is the legalization of a situation that is already de facto. The uh, there are millions and millions of people who smoke pot or have smoked pot in this country, uh, and I think the the fact that the liquor industry is now paying for commercials mm -hmm. to campaign against it is evidence of what's at stake here. This is one intoxicant versus another, and it's going into Okay, the well, market. a lot of people disagree with you on of that. Of course they but, do. But a lot of people disagree with me on everything. That's true. That's true. But does Philippe, Calderon, <laughs> yes, does Philippe Calderon have a point as leader of Mexico? I, I think, I, first of all, I love Felipe Calderon. He's the bravest man. He's declared war on these drug bandits. 30,000 Mexicans have died as a result of the war. They're rooting out this corruption and this cancer in, in Mexican society. I'm all for it. But I, I think he's backwards on this issue. And let me tell you why. It's not a terrible inconsistency. The fact of the matter is much of the violence from Mexico and around the Mexican-U.S. border is from the marijuana trade. It's not just hard drugs. Right. There's a huge amount. It's the biggest source of marijuana in this country. And if the United States had its own supply, mm -hmm. as it would in legalization, then you wouldn't have the same economic incentive to smuggle right. in, and you would have less of the friction. I think he's absolutely backwards. I think it's a, right. it's a consistency, not an inconsistent. All right, let's talk about Brett Favre. It looks like Deadspin.com got a hold of Let's not talk about Brett Favre. Let's talk about Geraldo. I think he's smoking to pot. Maybe he is. He's, he's on the he's He on said the pot. millions of people have smoked to pot. <laughs> he also what did he say? He said he's 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 tried he's tried I've it. Tested he's this. tested this. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've tested this. <laughs> I bet you have, buddy. And that's why you know, like we know, that our pot laws are whack. And uh yeah, pot yeah. moving forward. And you know, former uh the former uh president of Mexico, Vicente Fox, who is also in Calderon's uh same party has made headlines recently by calling for legalization and regulation of all drugs as the best way to cripple the drug cartels economically. And he said recently that passage, passage of Proposition 19 would be, quote, a great step forward. And also, he said, quote, open the door to these ideas for us. Wow. Very interesting. Yeah, it, it's uh, – um, what did you think about the current president's statement, though, how it's a huge inconsistency on our war on drugs? What do you, how do you feel about that, Jamie? Well, I think it, it, his point is, wait a minute, that doesn't, that doesn't have anything to do with, you know, bowling people over with aggressive, you know, military tactics right. and smashing heads. Right. How, does, how does that fit in? And that is inconsistent, and that's the, that's but, the bright – that's the brightest aspect of Proposition but, 19. It's – yeah, but is it? It's not really inconsistency, though. This is the way that our system, our federal system, was set up so that states could have the right to do these sort mm -hmm. of things and make 
the change and force the because in this case the federal government is wrong and the government in California is going to be right and it's going to have a huge impact and right. this is the way that we change our system starting yep. at a smaller one, level that's the us. function of it so if you um, don't like the way it is man you, then you change the laws isn't that what they always say that's what they say and they make it, it seem like we can do that and I mean I mean yeah. we're you know potentially supposed to be able to do that about any law in this land so mm-hmm. um, that's I don't. I mean, it is inconsistent with the federal government's stance on drugs and the way that they fight the war on drugs and the war on our own people. But um, it's not necessarily inconsistent with our political system in general. Um, it's right. happened and over I, a lot of different things throughout our history. So I think that's a good. That's a good, very good thing, and on both of those points, Def- both. Definitely. Yep. Uh, I got a. I got a. Uh, it looks like um, we got some. I got an email. It looks from Tom Angel. Is that mm-hmm. who, we're, who we're getting some of these yeah. updates from now with the uh-huh. Yes campaign? Uh-huh. Yes on 19. Um, uh, he sent an email linking to it looks like a large group of um, uh, uh, um, law professors just mm-hmm. endorsed Prop 19. Um, that's about all we need to get into the story because everybody's been saying it's such a legal nightmare. It's written so bad. It's written so poorly. It's botched, this, that. That's a lot of law professors in one state to endorse mm. a, law, a, a law, right? Isn't it? I mean, that's yeah. a, that sounds Absolutely. like a decent grip. De- <laughs> yep. It's definitely worth checking that story out. Yeah, um, yeah, that's that's huge. So um, you can, you know, that's that's a that's a big deal there. Um, it looks also like uh, uh, Obama administration has uh, finally um, came out and made their stance be known on uh, mm-hmm. Prop 19, and it denounced Prop 19. Basically, uh, looks uh, the president himself didn't take these stances. He kind of held off in some sort of town hall meeting on the issue, but uh, Attorney General Eric Holder did not hold off. He said, uh, he said, um, we will vigorously enforce the federal ban on possessing, growing, or selling the drug if voters approve the ballot measure on November 2nd. Um, and uh, he said uh, Prop 19 would greatly complicate federal drug enforcement efforts in the detriment to the detriment of our nation. And um, let's see, February 2009, he told us that they were going to back off of of uh, MedPot, which they did kind of for a while, and now are sort of secretly fighting it and not making it a big press mm-hmm. issue anymore is kind of what's really going mm-hmm. on. Still being fought that used to, the way that they would roll was they would roll in and then they make a big deal of it and they'd get all the cameras out and they'd get all the get all the computers out and they'd t- write about it and talk about it and now they're just not talking about it as much. So uh, medical marijuana is still under siege from the federal government. There's no doubt about yep. it. Um and uh, however, uh, they have been a little easier than the Clinton and Bush administrations on it. Um, mm-hmm. And then looks like your guy Gerlikowski uh, came in here. He says <laughs> Prop 19 is an ill-considered scheme. So these are all the. This is all coming out um, uh, from from the federal government now. Gerlikowski, uh, or actually Holder, also said that uh, it would restrict the authority of state and local officers to seize marijuana. Um, and it would interfere with the efforts to, quote, target drug traffickers who frequently distribute marijuana alongside cocaine and other controlled substances. But, I mean, this is a big deal, right? How, is this is this going to complicate federal – I mean, what's – you know, how is this going to affect cocaine and, and, and heroin? Or do, do you think that 
it's going to affect how's it going to affect cocaine and heroin aren't they totally aren't these totally separate it's issues gonna, it's going to create uh, uh up until recent up well up until november 2nd <laughs> uh a, a new divide between cannabis and those substances right cannabis i mean but but will it though since it's still illegal and it'll still be illegal in 49 other states um, well, it certainly will um, in California, obviously, but I think in the national mindset that to a certain degree it will begin to as well. And uh, that's the start of change. I mean, I think that's the most exciting part about Proposition 19 to me is the the kind of effects that uh, occur across the country um, after it's passed. Sure. Sure. Mm-hmm. It's um, it, the you know the fed, the federal government is, is is basically saying they are considering all avenues to um, stop Prop 19. They're considering suing us, um, mm-hmm. as as, uh, as uh, we just talked a little while ago with Chris Conrad. I think they're going to have issues with that, but um, mm-hmm. you know um, they're definitely not definitely not going to give up prosecuting people um we'll see how it works out though I, I just really don't think they'll have the manpower or the dollars to really stop it and california will be a case study for the rest of the country to look at and see and compare a completely different system and see if they like it or not and i think that it's gonna it's gonna be such a good thing that it's gonna become obvious to everyone in the country uh fairly mm-hmm. quick that uh that this is where the whole country needs to move to or towards as well so We've got an official statement here that was sent to us from Tom Angel um, in response to Attorney Eric General's uh, Eric uh, Attorney General Eric Holder's letter. Um, it is uh, from Joseph McNamara. We've talked about him before, right, Jamie? Um, yes, he's yeah. a, a former uh, a retired San Jose police chief, and he is a supporter of Prop 19. Um, and he says. Uh, quote, as we saw with the repeal of alcohol prohibition, it takes from it, it takes action from the states to push the federal government to change its policies, which is what we've been talking about. And mm-hmm. um, uh, he says passing Proposition 19 in California will undoubtedly kickstart a national conversation about changing our country's obviously failed marijuana prohibition policies. If the federal government wants to keep fighting the nation's failed war on marijuana while we're in the midst of a sagging economic recovery and two wars, it just proves that the establishment policy politicians priorities are wrongly focused on maintaining the status quo mm-hmm. right that's what i'm saying like that's what i'm saying too change your ways, save some bucks Just let a new industry thrive hello wake up i mean it's not that big of a deal why uh, I'm still, we're still searching for why it's such a big deal to them there's so many different theories <laughs> yeah i mean it's not clear cut at all <laughs> no we could we could we, we need spin. to get some of them on to ask them why <laughs> but then they'll but they just say the same stupid that stupid prohibition yeah yeah, yeah, yeah and it just talk to those people yeah just you know just stops it uh from making any sense it's like all of a sudden people stop making sense when you start asking them their reasons on in media Um, he also went on to say voters in california are sick of policies that funnel money to violent drug cartels and gangs make it easier for teens to get illegal marijuana than age-regulated alcohol and that waste billions of dollars our citizens want solutions to the constant budget struggles that plague the state and not a continuation of the costly failed policies that lock up too many of our citizens and prolong our economic hardships amen as will be shown on November 2nd, Californians are not going to let politicians in Washington, D.C. tell them how to vote. So 
He's mm-hmm. saying he's dropping the F bomb on <laughs> on the Obama administration's stance on Prop 19, basically. And you know what? I think that no one in California gives a flying flying F about uh, <laughs> what the Obama administration thinks about Prop 19. How do you right. guys, what do you guys think? I, not even a, it's right. not even a consideration in their mind when they're making the decision on this. No, I don't think so. I really, I really. Yeah, don't. it might eventually str- uh, stretch into or certainly uh, influence the rest of the nation. But right now, this is about California. It definitely is. And, and you were saying earlier, you think it could potentially hurt? Yeah, Obama. It, yeah, we, yeah, we were talking about this because um, if uh, if the federal government goes after, or if the Obama administration specifically goes after um, Californians. Sure. Uh, who are by, you know, uh, obeying California state law, um, he's going to dis- he's going to disenchant a lot of his his voter base, his young voter base. Mm-hmm. And they're not going to go and vote Republican. They're just not going to show up at the election. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. Could California go red? I don't know. And maybe if, you know, Obama wants to F with us. Right. And it's so it's right. so conflicting with the stories we were talking about last week in our pot and politics, our pot and party politics uh, segment, where we were talking about the fact that the DNC is looking into pr- to trying to win swing states with med pot and pro pot legalization uh, mm-hmm. an, uh, initiative support. So how. How does that work? It does seem like a conflicting um, <laughs> possibility. I mean, I, I just, you know, like when it – they've been so wishy-washy when it comes to this. And apparently the federal – like the administration came out and said this, but he – apparently in some sort of town hall meeting, Obama himself wouldn't link himself to it too much. He kind of even said something in regards to like – like, you know, we only have so many resources or whatever. So uh, we'll see how it really goes down. I mean, it's going to be very hard for them to enforce this when all of a sudden California goes, well, we're not going to arrest foreign citizens for purchasing. And I mean, what's the the federal government going to come and start arresting all of our tourists and stuff? I mean, it's it's I'm sure there will be there will be some, you know, obviously there definitely will be a, a federal, you know, attempt at doing something but how far reaching can it really be into stopping an entire industry that's going to spawn overnight because you know i mean it's already here in place really it's already here and i mean so i i'm just i'm just totally confused by their what they're saying join the crowd yeah right (laughs) right yeah, it's uh I think there's someone else confusing who says some confusing stuff coming up here soon so, too. Yeah, I found I you know, I normally look through clips on the internet and find clips to play and uh-huh. I was, you know, I do marijuana and maybe prop 19 or whatever, but I found so many so many ridiculous amount more more clips than I ever have found before. Uh just news news places talking about California legalizing. It is big news across the nation. Money, and money, money. Money, money, money. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. It's interesting. I'm, I'm finally st- we're starting to see clips now where they don't have the no side now. They're only talking to proponents. We have one in, we, a, in a little bit, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's really interesting to see. I was wondering if it would ever make a spin towards that. And the thing is, the the proponents is the selling of the story people aren't buying the media for the no side because if you're a prohibitionist why do you need to watch people talk about prohibition because if you're a marijuana prohibitionist you don't care that's just your stance right i mean i don't know i mean i don't know maybe that's me being short-sighted maybe they do care more but i kind of think that what sells the story is the is, (laughs) is the side of the coin that we're on so 
You don't sell the steak. You sell the sizzle. You sell the sizzle. Hey, Meg Whitman's trying to sell sizzle, sell sizzle isn't <laughs> She's she? She's pushing sizzle <laughs> She's all the talking time. nonsense. That's who I was referring to a second ago. We got a clip, uh, I believe, yeah. uh, of her making some pretty... Miss Whitman, let me give you a different spin on all that. Let me just interrupt. This, this is during the... Uh, the was that Tom? It was, yeah. Tom, Tom, Tom broke off. <laughs> um, uh, it's during the, the uh, gubernat- gubernatorial debate that, that aired this past week on uh, uh, the California gubernatorial Between debate on television. one anti-cannabis candidate and another anti-cannabis candidate. Interesting yeah, stuff. It is. You're opposed to the proposition that would legalize marijuana in California. What would happen if tomorrow marijuana were legalized, licensed, and controlled by the state because it's no secret in the state and across the country, people can get it wherever and whenever they want to. So I am firmly opposed to Proposition 19, which is the legalization of marijuana. I think this is not the right thing for our young people. It's not the right thing for our community of, uh, of citizens of California. But don't ask me. Ask law enforcement. Every single law enforcement official in this entire state is against Proposition 19. And I'll make one other comment. Jerry Brown says that he is tough on drugs and drug crime, but the Narcotics Officers Association of, the, of California oh, looked wow. at my record. They examined his record. And they have chosen to endorse me because they know I will back up public safety in California. Right, whatever. That's well, she just told That's us enough. I'm harder on drugs than he is. <laughs> yeah, she'll protect their wallet. God, I might no. vote for another Democrat then, even though they, uh, I, I don't even think I'm going to vote for governor, to be honest. I really don't. Did she just say every single law enforcement official in the entire state is against Proposition 19? She yeah, did. she did, dude. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know in, an open, in a public debate, oh, nobody yeah. questioned her credibility. You know, the Huffington Post did. Oh, they did they, they, they called her out on it, yeah. They did, mm-hmm. and they said that yep. is ridiculous. Yeah, that's where I found the clip, actually. Really? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, yeah she's piece. either uh, lying or not paying attention. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Goodness gracious. Which one's worse? I don't know which is worse. <laughs> right. In this, situa- in this context, lying or not paying attention. Right. But the thing that I hate about it, too, is she just says, I am opposed to this because it's bad for our children in our community. No facts. No argument. Just I'm opposed. Just know that I'm opposed. I can't explain why I'm opposed. It really doesn't make much sense to even me anymore, but I'm opposed. <laughs> So speaking of, uh, you were talking earlier about the uh, news media bringing in yep. um, people from both sides. Right. Yeah. So um, our, we like this guy, Judge Andrew Napolitano on, on Fox's Freedom Watch. Yeah. Um, he freedom. Brought, freedom. That's right. And he brought on Tommy Chung uh, mm-hmm. and also retired, is he police chief? Yeah. Joseph McNamara. Oh, from yeah, San Jose? Yeah, he's the one that just made those, those comments. That, exactly. That I was reading, yeah. That we were talking about. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, he's a uh, Hoover fellow and, from and this uh, is the, Stanford. Right. Is he a Hoover? And this is the first. Yeah. This is the first time where we we're talking about where we're playing a clip where there's not some douche <laughs> representing the opponents of legalization. This is a Fox News story selling the story with two proponents and actually a proponent that's asking the questions. So, Fox News, check it out. You want to get high? Well, if you live in California, you might be able to do so legally soon. As Proposition 19 on the ballot will effectively legalize marijuana for persons over 21 if it passes. With me, two unlikely allies to get this measure passed. Actor Tommy Chong of Cheech and Chong fame. And former San Jose police chief and my intellectual buddy Joe McNamara. Both sympathetic to changing drug laws. Chief McNamara, to you first. What will happen in California to the ability 
ability of the police to enforce other laws if they don't have to worry about marijuana? Well, the <clears throat> fundamental police duty is to protect life and property. That's what they should be doing, and they'll have more resources to do it if they get off this uh, kick to try to prevent people from smoking marijuana. Let's be honest. The war against marijuana has been a failure. Anyone that wants marijuana in California can get it. The result is that we have an awesome black market that creates uh, violence and makes drug gangs and drug dealers and drug cartels rich. Tommy, you're, you're, a, you're a sacrificial lamb to that war. You, you spent time in jail for something that in six months might be perfectly lawful. How do you feel about that? I feel really good about that because uh, then I can get my felony expunged, uh, expunged uh, from my record. Right now, I'm a felon. I, I know right now, I have to... I, yeah, I right know now I have felon. to register. I want to know what, what, what's going to happen in California once marijuana is legalized. Probably nothing. The people that have been using it will keep using it. Right, Tommy? Exactly. I mean, nothing will happen. The, the people that have cancer will be able to get their medicine without fear of uh, going to jail. And, uh, and the people that grow it will be able to take their crop to market without fear, uh, fear of uh, being incarcerated. So actually, uh, it's, we're just regaining our sanity. Joe McNamara, if it passes in California, people will also be regaining freedom. What kind of money will the government save if it doesn't have to prosecute people for using small amounts of marijuana in their own homes? Well, they'll save vast amounts of money in policing, in the courts, and in prisons. About 80% of the uh, parole revocations in California are for possessing small amounts of drugs. Most of that, of course, is marijuana. So that's a savings, and in, in addition to that, uh, the crazy situation is because marijuana is illegal, it escapes taxation. If Proposition 19 passes on Election Day, uh, marijuana will be taxed. The government will, local right. government, will receive uh, more than a billion dollars in new income that can be used for better policing, schools, and for local concerns. Got it. Tommy, we only have about 30 seconds. If the Republican sure. presidential candidate in 2012 is somebody like Ron Paul or former New Mexico Governor Gary Johnson, who supports legalization of marijuana all across the country, will you support him? Well, actually, I'm going to support the, the female candidate that, that, that I think will be running at that time. Who will that be, Which Tommy? Will, uh, Rachel Maddow, <laughs> All MSNBC. Right. All right, we won't go there. Guys, thank you very much for joining us. Back with the plain truth. <laughs> Tommy, come on. You should have been nice to the judge. He's, he's, he's into our issue there. You just take that as like a low blow. They're getting at that there at Fox. They're, they're, they're wondering if they're probably testing the waters of whether or not they should run a pro-pot candidate. I mean... I mean, that, seriously, right? They, they, one of their biggest thing is taking down Obama. So they got to be testing those waters. That's interesting. Yeah, interesting. You know, actually, that fits uh, pretty uh, naturally with the Republican, well, a, tip, a classical Republican agenda, less government, smaller government, less control over people. Right. And, and yeah, it, it's, 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 it's interesting. Freedom Watch. <laughs> it, they, <laughs> he, fo he follows this issue fairly closely. Like we have something almost every week now from that. So mm -hmm. uh, Jimmy Kimmel um, talking about legalizing pot right here. We got this clip too, ready to roll, I think. Election day. Election day is only three weeks away. Here in California, we have another vote on drugs. 
We vote on drugs a lot in California. We really do. Proposition 19, if passed, would legalize possession of up to an ounce of marijuana for personal use. Pot laws in California are already pretty relaxed. It's harder to get a fishing license than a medical marijuana license here. But Prop 19 would enable the state to collect taxes on pot, which supposedly would create new jobs. And up in the Bay Area, they've even formed a marijuana workers' union. Starting at $25 an hour base pay, you might be surprised to hear the unionized medical marijuana industry has already begun in the Bay Area. The kind of jobs that we can raise our families on, send our, our kids to school with, our jobs are, have pensions. They consist of cultivators. They cut the buds. Pre-roll techs who work the rolling paper machines. Lab technicians who can earn up to $45 an hour. Flamin' Hot Funyuns restockers providing staff meals. Human resources in charge of remembering employee names and stuff. Cottonmouth managers oversees Slurpee delivery. Hat guys, they wear really awesome hats. And woers, they stare at their hands and say, whoa. Uh, oh yeah it's always the punchline that's funny and then this thing down here too we got to mention this we can't play it because you've got to watch it because it's a taiwanese animated report but it's a funny funny animated thing you got to check out on prop 19 it's all in chinese jimmy have you seen that yet did you look i have it's awesome i don't know what they're saying exactly but it's just so it's so cool you don't need to know from watching the the bear smoking weed and yeah yeah you can see if you watch the if you watch the animation you can actually kind of figure out what they're talking about but yeah it was funny i liked it i think i think the animation is the funniest part i just wondered i didn't ask where's where did that come from are they i found it on stop the drug war so in Taiwan, they're paying attention to this? Apparently, yeah. Someone Apparently. is. Someone is. Yeah. <laughs> Someone with a lot of time on their hands. Do you hands. think Taiwan maybe um, comes up as China on our on our thing? Yeah, maybe they were listening because aren't to they, our show. Isn't it disputed whether or not they're part of part of China? I don't know. There's some deep I beg, shit going I bet Google there. reports them separately. Okay. Oh, probably. Yeah. Yeah, I would imagine. You're probably right. Um, yeah, check out that. The link is on our notes. Uh, it's uh, We're going to make it to to the desert state down Arizona now. Nice. It's time to, to get a little Arizona talk uh, going up. Uh, we got uh, uh, in, in on the November a se- uh, second ballot in Arizona is Prop 203, mm-hmm. um, which is your third attempt in Arizona to legalize uh, the possession of medical cannabis um, through initiative. You passed it twice, and apparently there have been miswordings. Is that basically what's happened there? Yeah, the- I think they just had a couple of flaws they were arguing about, and this is the second revision. So, so it, it wasn't even that they were show. arguing about it. It's like the, the legal community there claims that you can't legally have it, so it didn't act- – somehow the wording in those bills didn't make it to where it was actually legal to possess cannabis. Isn't that great? Right. That's, that's yep. So this is basically a revised statute which amends the previously passed initiatives and uh, apparently fixes those issues. And then there's a, a, a slew of other stuff in um, in it that changes the way that it should be ran and, and regulated, right? We've got an mm-hmm. email from Eric in Arizona, um, and he says this is the third time in 14 years. Um, that as much as 65% of Arizona, of Arizonians, perhaps, um, support, support, uh, medical marijuana. Um, and, uh, 
that this bill specifically uh, states the various illnesses and uh, diseases and ailments that qualify people for medical marijuana. Um, some of those are cancer, glaucoma, HIV, AIDS, hepatitis C, epilepsy, Alzheimer's, etc. It also states that the public may petition the department to add debilitating medical conditions to the list. Um, so it's not like a closed – they can be changed um, – in the future, um, the list. Um, and it means that the public can vote on whether to add ailments, um, over, over time or whatnot. Uh, it, like, I think he's saying that like anxiety, sleeping disorders, stuff like that are not on there currently, but they, he's hopeful they would be able to, to amend that at some point and add them to the list and that the, perhaps the bill gives them, um, gives them that a, a option to do. Uh, mm-hmm. he also says that the law says patients, can have no more than two and a half ounces every 14 days. So that's five ounces a month. Um, and it would allow patients to cultivate up to 12 plants, provided they're in a secure and locked location. It also just states that all dispensaries must be run as nonprofits, and the cities, towns, and counties may enact reasonable zoning regulations to limit the land use um, for them. Um, it doesn't specify how much money patients would have to pay for their medicine or how much they would be charged in taxes. Um, but, uh, it does say that dispensaries may acquire medical marijuana from a registered qualifying caregiver or patient who cultivates their own cannabis only if the grower receives no compensation for the marijuana. Um, this is an issue that, that another person from Arizona sent to me, sent, uh, was concerned about, um, and uh, regarding this, and he he says it is section of the bill. It is um, section thirty six dash twenty eight oh six, and so he doesn't understand one how if 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 you can't receive compensation for it, how what are you going to do? Just going to give your weed to to a dispenser? You're just going to go give it to them? You know that doesn't make any sense. And then I guess what's going to come down there? This is what I, my thought is: what's definition of compensation? Is compensation mm-hmm. meaning making a profit or does compensation mean what well, I mean? Cause you know, it takes time to, to grow weed. It takes resources to grow weed. Can you be paid back for your investment in it? So can I, could I sell you a product that basically represents how much my time was worth put into it and then a payback on all of the, you know, all of the resources I had to put into it would that be compensation? That doesn't. I mean, compen. That doesn't sound like compen. Right? Is this this issue in California? Right? Like supposedly this is how the socialistic two fifteen stuff works. Oh, it's right? all nonprofit. Right. Nonprofit. Nonprofit. Not, not for. But profit. I can sell weed to a dispensary because mm. I am getting back my cost that it took to put into yeah. it. But I don't think it, I don't think they call yes. it a sale. Well, it's not called a sale <laughs> because I'm technically a member. Of the cooperative dis- or the this collective. Is, this is the kind of craziness we have to deal with. So welcome to what we deal with in California, Arizona. Um, this is a huge thing here that will run your run your system. Apparently, you guys are going to be able to have like up to 124 dispensaries in the state or something like that. It's like one to every 10 pharmacies, basically, is how you guys are doing it. And um, so... When you do this, there what, what one of the things that they're saying is is you can uh, you can be a member of a dispensary and purchase your weed from a dispensary. And apparently, the growing thing of the twelve plants actually only come from from Steve. I get this info. It only comes if you're over twenty five miles away from a dispensary. Then 
you can grow your own, right? But if you're a, some sort of caregiver or whatever, or growing weed, you can't get compensation for it. And they're saying, basically, they're trying to make the law to where the dispensaries are supposed to be somewhat self-sufficient, which is very difficult to do. Don't you agree, Matt? Mm. Yeah, totally. They're doing that in Colorado or trying to do that in Colorado too. And it's 70% in Colorado. Right. Yeah. But still, which is just crazy. Uh -huh. I mean, like if you don't do that for any other medicine or coffee or groceries, anything it's no. treated. I mean, like it's treated like the bad step, step kid again, you know? <laughs> and, and, um, um, so this is what they're dealing with there. Uh, you guys, it's, what do you, what do you, what do you know about this, Jamie? You've looked in, you've read all these emails and these messages and looked at these links. What do you think? Yeah. Eric gave us a big write-up, uh, Eric from Arizona. We thank him for that. He said, uh, overall, the initiative seems very sensible. I agree with him. Responsibly written and addresses concerns of opponents who worry about the misuse or abuse of this type of legislation, which is a, a, an earnest uh, con concern consideration. Um, unfortunately, he says there doesn't seem to be a lot of general knowledge about the bill. And he said we need to get the word out and convince friends and family to get out and vote on November 2nd. Unfortunately, the deadline for voting registration in Arizona was last week. So hopefully everybody's already registered to vote and plans to do so. And I agree with them. I hope that uh, they ha they may they may have a late registration. I don't know. I know Illinois does do that, but maybe uh, perhaps Arizona does not. But he said you can go uh, for more information uh, on this bill. You can go to www.stoparrestingpatients.com. And please inform as many of your family and friends as possible. You can also link up to the actual bill itself or the initiative itself from our mm -hmm. notes here. I have it in as Prop 203 is a revived statute, which amends previously passed awesome. medical marijuana initiative. And, yeah, I, 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 I too, um, think it's it's it, it's a yes. If I was voting in Arizona, I'd be voting yes oh, yeah. on Prop 203. Uh, but, a, but don't you agree? To right, have to do that. right. But don't you agree, too, that it is going to be one where a lot of it's going to have to be hammered out in the courts to determine the actual way that things will function, like from the sounds mm -hmm. of it? Yeah, I think that it's, it's almost inevitably uh, part of the process. Right. <laughs> as unfortunate as that is, you know, it's... It's just aggravating and it's costly and it, and it really irritates everybody involved on both sides trying to get this all hammered out. But it's necessary to do it to get to the other side where things function right and more people are benefiting and less people are getting hurt. Yep, yep. So it's worth going. You know, in addition to that, Eric also sent us, uh, he referred us to some excellent Proposition uh, 203 coverage from Cannabis Culture Magazine. And if you're hearing this right now, you can get that link on our website as well. Yeah, check that out. Thanks, Eric. We appreciate the effort. Steve, too. We appreciate it, man. Um, uh, yeah, it's closing in. We'll see what happens. We'll, we'll keep up with what's going on in Arizona. We will follow it on election light. On election night, perhaps we'll stream it once again. Mm -hmm. It's a maybe, big maybe. Perhaps. Maybe. We'll make our decision soon on Hey, that. it's yeah. organic. <laughs> right. Um, speaking of organic, uh, what's going on in Amsterdam? I'm sure they got some, some orga good organic weed over there, but you got you got oh, well, You know, have you seen the drug czar, little drug czar party they put together? There's six former drug czars uh, have been going out and making statements and doing op-eds and things. And uh, on uh, the, at the end of August, I think it was like August 25th, um, just a, a month and a half ago, um, the Los Angeles Times published an open editorial that was written by six former U.S. drug czars referring to cannabis policies in the Netherlands, they made a lot of comments, negative comments, like their 
their uh, murder rate was like four times ours or some ridiculous thing. A bunch of different things that were just complete scare tactics. But I can't believe this doesn't fly in their faces more often because it, it really it really speaks to their credibility or lack thereof when they make blatant comments like this that are blatantly, uh, and, uh, you know, untrue. And on September 2nd, just about a week later, the uh, the NCOD president, NCOD stands for um, the European Coalition for Just and Effective Drug Policies. And their president, Dr. Frederick Pollack, sent uh, an open letter to the L.A. Times titled To the Editor of the Los Angeles Times. And he is talking about the op-ed authored by the former drug czars. And he said the recent op-ed authored by these current and former drug czars, uh, Kilgarkowski is in, in that bunch, once again, mis- misrepresented the Dutch experience with cannabis coffee shops as a warning to Americans about removing cannabis from the black market. It appears, you know, that's that's a really common thing that uh, U.S. prohibitionists do when when they bring up Amsterdam uh, purposely to try to point out that it's out of control and it's a total failure. Their their tolerance, their policies of tolerance. People like most often uh, wrongfully think of Amsterdam as being fully legal. It kind of, in a sense, is de facto legal as long as you follow the rules and don't cause problems. But really, what in just in jest, what it really is 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 a tolerance that they have for sure. cannabis there. And this guy was kind of offended by these by these dudes standing up and saying, "Hey, look, we're a coalition of big authority figures from the government, and we're telling you this is what's going on." And he said, "That's not right. That's not right at all." Actually, um, a poll taken this year. Um, right. Well, he says actually in his in his letter, he said right now only the retail sale of five grams is really tolerated. Right. Um, so you know, black market production remains a problem, just as it is as it is in the U.S. The mayors of a majority of the cities with coffee shops have urged the national government to also decriminalize growth, wholesale, and transport. You know, the supply side, in other words, and they're working on that. You know, they said uh, in the in their statement, the drug czar said, you know, there's only a, a, a few hundred of those coffee shops still left. You know, the Dutch are trying to eradicate them, which is not true. He's uh, the uh, Dr. Pollock says. Uh, while it is true that the number of coffee shops has fallen from its peak of around 2,500 throughout the country, there's still more than 700. So if that's a few hundred, then, well, okay. But it's it's as usual. Like like uh, we were talking with um, Chris Conrad earlier, they always inflate the amount of cannabis that somebody has or right. some entity has or is caught with. They always deflate the the number of people at a rally or you know a, a demonstration in support of cannabis and this is just another one of those occurrences where they said you know there's only a few hundred and they're really you know irrelevant to to um, this country but really the doctor pointed out these things aren't just in Amsterdam they're all over their nation and you know a lot of the things that the the drug czars have pointed out in their uh, statement are false they're they're patently false and um, they. He he mentions a few of uh, this these lies that are in a, in a long tradition of lies being told by U.S. officials, especially about the Netherlands. Um, in earlier drugs are, uh, he says, I believe it was Lee Brown, warned that visiting Amsterdam means stumbling over junkies in the center of town. In 1998, just before the start of a fact-finding mission, that's in that's in little parentheses because it pertains to Barry McCaffrey of the the drug czar's office. Um, he went on a fact fighting mission to the Netherlands, uh, and he claimed uh, General uh, Barry McCaffrey. If you don't remember that guy, he claimed that Dutch drug policy was quote an unmitigated disaster, and he claimed that the U.S. had less than half the murder rate of the Netherlands, um, which is 
is completely wrong. And, you know, after he pointed that out, that it was, you know, over twice the, the rate of the U.S. Uh, murders, he said, that's drugs. You know, and that's how they that's how they roll. That's how they explain it. And then it makes people draw their own conclusions based on fear and misinformation. And uh, he, the, the, the doctor points out that the Dutch Central Bureau for Statistics issued a special press release explaining in response to these guys coming out and saying this stuff about the country. And they explain that the actual Dutch murder rate is one point eight per one hundred thousand people or less than one quarter of the U.S. murder rate. And. He said it's not known whether McCaffrey understood the implications of the link, which he implied between murder rate and drug policy for the American situation. So he's saying we don't really know for sure if this guy has a clue what he's talking about or not, right. or not. but he was certainly wrong. He, he closes his uh, uh, piece with, I hope that the American people will at least have access to accurate information when they decide what cannabis policies will work best. Americans have not ceased to be smart or pragmatic. They have been systematically misled. If they absorb the knowledge about the state of the drug problem in their own country and elsewhere. I cannot imagine that they will continue to support drug prohibition. So the links on our site, you can check that site, that story out a little bit more, but he, uh, he called them out for, uh, distortions and fear mongering. Yeah. That's a great, it's a good thing. He called us uh, out for being sheep. Yeah, he did. (laughs) He really did. You caught that, huh? (laughs) I did. No, I want to do a production meeting. On oh, production meeting. <laughs> we're, we're doing one on the air, huh? Yeah, it's just a little quick thing, which I think our listeners might be interested in. Okay. So we've been oh, yeah. talking a while about, you know, sound effects and all sorts of things. Mm-hmm. And we, I got, I got two. We got to, we got to pick one between these two. All right. Well, these are our, so we're taking one of these two sound effects and it will become an official sound effect of the show. So. Yeah, that's the deal. Holy shit. All right. All right so What's big number stuff. One? Listen carefully. Oh, wait, wait, wait. We need to play that a little louder. Okay. Turn that one up. Okay. So this is for the, the conscious stone or the, the, the smart stone or, uh-huh. or okay. functional. The functional functional stone. stone. That's the ding. Okay. What do you think? Let's hear the other one. I like it. Oh, let's hear it again. Give it a proper treatment. Okay. Ooh, it's like a zen ding. It's, it's almost zen like when you like, of positive. hit that thing on the desk uh-huh. when the, the lady at the storage unit's in her house still. Yeah. And you're like, bing! Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then she comes out of the kitchen. Uh-huh. And you pay her <laughs> rent and so that's, move on. That's sound number one, right? Yeah, yeah. So here's number two. Oh. Yeah, it's got a whole different flavor to it, huh? Jeez. Big difference between I like dings. the former. You like the bass? I like the zen emanating positivity. Can we do them together? Bing, bong. Can, can, can we make that work? It's like, oh, it almost shit. sounds like wind chime. Yeah, it does. Can we add? Can we get them? So there's three options here. <laughs> now there's three options. There's the former, the latter, and then the two together. We don't have to decide now. No, just let no. us know what you think yeah. about our, which which ding. I, I I don't think I can choose. If I've, you guys I've, have one that you like over the other, then Jamie prefers the one. former. You like somebody th- has one. They have a bell. I was telling them about this, and they're completely unrelated to this movement or anything related to anything we speak about on the show. And I was just talking to them about it. They said. Oh, you need an Incredibell. And I go, Incredibell? Yeah. And so I Googled it. There's this little bell. It's just a simple little bitty bell. And it's got this little hammer thing. I like pull it back. Looks kind of like a gun hammer, sort of. But I mean, it's not exactly. But, you know, it's just a piece of plastic. Plastic. You pull it back and and you let it go and it goes, ding. (laughs) So maybe, uh, maybe I'll work on getting one of those. This person has one of those. So I'll, uh, I'll tape it and we'll see what it sounds like. All right. (laughs) We definitely do need a ding, though. Yeah. (laughs) 
All right. Yeah, it, we info, will. It'll be nice. Cannabisagenda.com, right? And, uh, yeah. Give us an email. Let us know which, what do you yeah. think about that. We need a ding, man. This is yeah, and if you have part. your own ding that you're proposing, you can leave it on the voicemail, too. We'll, 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 we'll keep up with the Siciliness. How important are sound effects to you guys? You guys really care? <laughs> no, right. You know Seriously. that first one was huge. That was emanating. It was it was uh, worthy of a of an amazingly functional stoner like uh, Chris Conrad, for example. Oh, we, the, the, there's the bass one. <laughs> there you go, Mister Conrad. That's your ding. All right. Hey, have you guys seen the the price of gold recently? I haven't seen it exactly. It's, it's huge. It's like it yeah, took it's, off. it's like thirteen. It's almost fourteen hundred dollars an ounce. Wow, it's like jeez. Yeah. It's crazy. I remember when we were buying it like 10 years ago, it was like the same price as weed. Yeah, totally. Like 300 bucks an ounce. Yep. Good gracious. Now it's the same price as like honey oil. Yeah, geez. <laughs> Dude, I wish I, I wish I had <laughs> bought a bunch of gold instead of all that weed. <laughs> yeah, that didn't work Dude, out Dude, we you. would have lots of weed now. <laughs> Right. They used, awesome. they used to say you grow gold. You're growing gold, but yeah, but. yeah. Wow, really? It's fourteen hundred dollars an ounce now. Crazy. That's, yep, that's crazy. Like, uh, and you're, and you're not going to do your your stock market update this week. No, we'll do it next week. Talk about that next week. Yeah. Okay, that's cool. It's something to look forward to for next week. Jamie, the hell's going on in New Jersey? The newest, strictest. Oh well, you know, last state. show, uh, the last program we did mention um, cannabis agenda number thirty three. A little bit about New Jersey. We 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 reported with a sneer, with a sneer, uh, 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 an un, unhidden, undisguised, uh, I don't know, air of disgust in our voices because it's just ridiculous the way they're doing things. Governor Christie says, "I stand by these changes to our or adjustments that they made to the law. They really tightened it down. They tightened down a, a, a piece of legislation that was ultimately uh, over restrictive to begin with, and they made it worse. They, you know, they have to hash out the details like we we're talking about, and the way they did it here was wrong. Well, it, it upset a lot of people. It, it made a lot of medical cannabis patients or potential patients in New Jersey very uh, nervous." as well as uh, aggravated. But one person in particular, Senator Nicholas Scutari, a Democrat from Union, uh, said that the bill signed into law by former Governor John Corzine in January called for six regional centers that would grow and sell medical pot to established patients and not four. Or um, actually, last week, State Health and Senior Services Commissioner Poonen Ale released a plan calling for two growing sites to serve just four dispensaries statewide. And the 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 importance of this senator is because he's the one that put this legislation in there in the first place. So he's kind of pissed because he did this for a reason. And the reason is to protect patients and to help people get access to a, a, a non-toxic substance that has the power, the ability to mitigate disabling circumstances that people are trapped within in their lives. And for this to get cut up and over... I don't even know how to call this, uh, what they've done to this, the, the rules involved with this, uh, this uh, medical marijuana law in, in New Jersey. But for them to go through this and, and to eliminate its effectiveness even, even more so is an uh, a, a extremely strong point of contention for Senator Scutari. So he plans to repeal uh, Governor Christie's rules on medical marijuana. And uh, for all you out there in New Jersey or friends with friends uh, in New Jersey, just be aware that uh, this is not a one-sided argument. There are official people. There are people with some some clout in there that are fighting for uh, for your benefit as well. So we we thank Senator Scutari, and I don't know if he's uh, eligible for a ding, but he certainly is a, a friend of ours. 
we've got a long way to go to find out what the deal is in New Jersey. I don't think it's it's going to be a bit. Seems like to no. me. Yeah, it's not. Over. He's not going to let him just shut it down like that. And, you know, he's going to make him open that back up to where it should be. The the the, the normal overly restrictive version. <laughs> right. Right. Well, I'll tell you who else is overly restrictive is Major League Baseball. Moving on to just a mention in cannabis, cannabis and sports. Uh, Major League Baseball does not allow um, any of its players to use cannabis. They are tested for it, um, and they, whenever they get busted for it, they are fined. Um, I, you know, people use it, but uh, they have to be really out of the radar on it. Tim Linscombe was arrested, or not arrested, cited in uh, Washington State last off season for minor possession of some pot and paraphernalia. And uh, he had a little worse of a regular season than he's had in the past, but still spectacular. And he has been spectacular in the playoffs. Uh, he's won both of his first playoff starts as a pro this year. The Giants are up one nothing on the Phillies. He beat Roy Halladay yesterday, um, ma- another masterpiece. Um, he has like 22 strikeouts in his first Fifteen innings um, of pitching in the in the playoffs, and all I got to say is let Timmy smoke, damn it, and go Giants. Mm-hmm. Yep, go Giants. Yep. Yeah, you know, there's a double standard at play again. You know, you can't use this, or you shouldn't use this because it's just it numbs you and makes you unfunctional, and and you'll just you'll just sit and it's a big glob of flesh on a couch and wither away. Yeah, you but won't then become the an sports awesome people want to use it, and it becomes a. a a performance enhancing substance. <laughs> yeah, right. And here's the thing is I mean it, it, that's a high st- pitching is a high stress job. I mean in in California you can get medical marijuana for anxiety and um he he works in California a lot of the time. How yeah. you know, I mean I can't wait till the days to when that's not legal anymore where you can't, you know, I mean he could drink to oblivion and they'd keep him on as long as his performance stayed the same, you know? So, um, yeah, let him smoke. Damn it. <laughs> I agree. Yep. Got some news from the South, South here. South. Yeah. Uh-oh. Tennessee. Yeah. Tennessee. Tennessee. We, don't get, we don't get to Tennessee very often. Where are this week though? We got a clip. Come on, big dog. Bernie Ellis grows more than 40 varieties of vegetables on his farm in fly, Tennessee. I've, been part of this farm since I was 19 years old. One crop used to be marijuana. I'd used it recreationally like many people of our generation. Ellis, who worked for more than three decades as a public health epidemiologist, developed degenerative joint disease in his hips and spine, then fibromyalgia. I found, and really it was almost an accidental finding, that um, you know, if I was using cannabis or when I used it, that I had much less pain and more flexibility in my joints, and I slept much better. Ellis says for more than 20 years he grew pot for himself and gave it away for free to people in his community who had terminal illnesses. If anyone uh, let me know of someone who was sick, I would reach out. But Ellis is no longer supplying marijuana to anyone after a federal raid eight years ago. I was out cutting the grass around my berries um, when I saw a helicopter flying right at treetop level, and I knew immediately that, that he had seen some of my uh, cannabis growing. Ellis pleaded guilty and was sentenced to 18 months in a federal halfway house in Nashville. 
The government auctioned off 25 acres of his farm. Now as a convicted felon, he says he can't get a job carrying out his public health consulting work, work that used to bring him $100,000 a year. He lives on food stamps and loans from relatives. Uh, it would be a lot tougher, it all would have been tougher, um, if I had felt, even for a moment, um, ashamed of what I'd, what I'd done or felt guilty. Ellis is now trying to get a bill passed in Tennessee legalizing marijuana for medicinal purposes. Tennessee legislator Beverly Marrero is co-sponsoring the bill in the state Senate. Her son-in-law, a cancer survivor, used it to fight nausea while undergoing chemotherapy. If there is a natural substance that is easily available and might not be so horribly expensive, I would think that what we're trying to do is provide the greatest relief for the largest number of people. But critics say the legislation isn't needed. They say there are other medications to treat nausea and other symptoms. And they fear the drug could end up in the hands of people who aren't sick. Ellis won't say whether he is still smoking marijuana, but he says he won't stop lobbying to make marijuana legal. The one thing I'm thankful for in all of this nightmare is that uh, I've been freed to speak up uh, both for the plant, but for the people the plant helps, and again for science, common sense, and compassion. Mm. Wow. Really? Auctioned off his land. Mm-hmm. Charged him as a felon. Can't work anymore. 18 months in a halfway house. Can't Jeez. work anymore in the job he had, which was a good job. And he, they tried to stop him from using the medicine, which he found, happened to find helps him. All over some pot. All over some some plants. Oops. That's, that's, that's just, that's, there it is, right there. The picture of how, and you can tell that man was a very calm, patient. You could just his energy, you know, calm, patient man who, who wants to do good things for people and has Mm -hmm. just good intentions. I mean, I don't know know, if I've been faked out before, but that was the energy I was getting. Yeah, and watching him, I got the same energy. Yeah, and I mean, that that lady sounded like one of the aged like ladies in your neighborhood that you always look out for to take care of and make sure she's okay. (laughs) <laughs> that's really nice that goes hi how you doing <laughs> you know yeah i i just th- that is a, a portrait of of the how our drug policy is failing america and, and you bet yeah and good people it's it's, mm-hmm. it's it's a war against our people and that's right it destroys lives and um mm-hmm. i'm just glad that we're still here fighting this fight and uh moving forward with it and it, it yeah and look, leading it yep leading it looks like uh there's what an attorney general candidate in Florida that says legalizing. Yeah, I just wanted to cross this. Uh, this is uh, from the Osceola County Liberal Examiner. Lisa Wright was writing about this. She said, uh, "Should the voters of California pass Proposition 19, it could set a precedent that has wide-ranging effect on the rest of the nation. It remains to be remains to be seen if the federal government would show California the same leniency as it has shown Alaska." Nevertheless, a vote of passage would be a clear sign that public perceptions changing toward cannabis, widespread changes inclusive of the legal variety, would be sure to follow. Just yesterday, Jim Lewis, an independent candidate for state attorney general, led a pro-cannabis rally outside the Broward County Courthouse calling for either the decriminalization of cannabis or the legalization of medical marijuana. Lewis also issued a statement on the issue 
Um, you can get that. There's a link um, for actually this article and the, um, the press release as well. He said, uh, she said, despite efforts to bring the legalization of medical marijuana to a vote in Florida this November, the issue did not appear on the ballot due to insufficient signatures so far on the petition. Um, their climate there is they're, they're a little bit uh, afraid of things still at this point. But instead, she says, Florida and the rest of the nation will look to California for a sign of things to come or not, which I think she's probably alluding to the possibility that it may not pass. So we'll keep an eye on that. But this is uh, Jim Lewis. He's running for the Florida Attorney General. And this is what he wrote in his press release. Jail terms for marijuana use must stop. Legalization of marijuana would bring jobs and tax windfall to Florida. Jim Lewis, an independent candidate, candidate running with no party affiliation for Florida Attorney General, has issued the following statement. I quote, it is time for the state of Florida to use a rational and common sense approach to the war on drugs. Billions of valuable tax dollars are being wasted on fighting a losing battle to stop people from smoking marijuana. Studies estimate that over 25 million Americans use cannabis. Thousands of tax-supported prison beds in Florida are being wasted on marijuana possession offenders when these prison beds are needed for violent and dangerous offenders. Florida ranks first among the 50 states in severity of punishment for marijuana possession. It is time to repeal all state and federal laws making possession of marijuana a crime for adults. Science and statistics are in. The abuse of alcohol and tobacco are far more injurious to public health and safety than marijuana. The law enforcement research resources as well as court time and jail space being wasted on arresting and prosecuting adults for smoking marijuana runs in the hundreds of millions in Florida and certainly many billions wasted nationally. It's estimated that California dec decriminalization saved taxpayers $857 million in 2006 alone. The argument that marijuana is a gateway drug that leads to hard drugs isn't supported by science or statistics. If marijuana were legalized, it may well cut down on the abuse of dangerous drugs like the prescription medication OxyContin. I am convinced that many people of all ages turn to prescription pain and anxiety medications, which are highly addictive because marijuana is illegal. And a, an alarming number of our citizens are dying from the abuse of this legal prescription medication. No one dies from abusing marijuana, and most experts agree that marijuana is not physically addictive. So there you go. The Attorney General is that the attorney general or an attorney general candidate? That's a candidate running for the position of attorney as general. As a Democrat or as a Republican or um, as, an, as independent? an independent? Okay. Yeah, as an independent. As yep. an independent. Wow. So that uh, we need to contact this person. Yeah, it'd be great to have him on our show. You know, that would be that would be very cool. Did he just come out with this at the very end here? Or has this been his stance the whole time, or you know? Um, what yeah, this? yeah. From appearances, it looks like this has been where he's came from from the beginning. Wow. Um, okay. So we're gonna have to. We're gonna have to try and get. We're gonna have to try, try and talk to this fella. Yeah. The this story was uh, written a few days back, so it wasn't actually yesterday, like the story actually says in the in the in the text. But yeah, very recently she came out with this thing. So I don't know. Is he getting on the bandwagon? Where is he? Some news from the south. It's been a while. It's good, to, it's good that something's going on. For sure. <laughs> We've got a giant nugget today, dude. Big one. Big yeah. crystally one. What's it all pretty about, Jamie? Pretty relevant, pretty uh, significant to what we've been talking about. Pretty much the overarching theme of the show would probably have to do with constitutional law. Um, as you recall, uh, many of the clips we've heard so far, including our amazing interview with uh, Chris Conrad, Conrad um, all touched 
uh, numerous times on constitutionality of Prop 19 and what would potentially happen if uh, assuming uh, Prop 19 passes. Well, like most uh, people involved in this movement, I was thinking about, you know, what would happen? Well, I need a source for that. I need to I need to go to the right to the horse's mouth, so to speak. And uh, it occurred to me that I need a professional that uh, an expert in constitutional law. So I thought um, in this little thought process in a, in a few moments in my mind, um, where would I find that? Definitely go to a university. I went to the University of Illinois. I went to their legal studies department and their political science department. And uh, I asked every professor I could find. I asked people if they were a professor. And if they said no, I said, can you know where I can find one? <laughs> if they said yes, I said, do you have a moment I could speak with you? And I told them what we're, uh, what we're asking about. Where What we're doing is I posed this to them that if they uh, – if they assume that Proposition 19 passed, what possible avenues might the federal government take? And they all kind of unanimously referred me to two people, one in the poli-sci department, which I hope to talk to soon, and this person that I, I was fortunate enough to have a chance to catch up with. Her name's Dr. Gwen Jordan. She's a Juris Doctorate and a Ph.D. and Associate Professor at University of Illinois. So let's check this out and uh, see how it went. I think it went pretty well. Okay, so... We're here with Dr. Gwen Jordan. She's a PhD. She has her Juris Doctorate. She's an Assistant Professor of Legal Studies at uh, one of the University of Illinois' beautiful campuses here in the state of Illinois. And uh, I was fortunate to get a, get a moment over time. She's very busy, especially in midterms around these campuses. Um, we wanted to ask her a pointed question for some objective information um, from her perspective, uh, professional insight, rather, um, about this. Proposition 19, and this is how I posed it uh, to Dr. Jordan um, a couple days ago. Proposition 19 has passed. What possible actions may the federal government take um, against against this proposition? And so, Dr. Jordan, if you could uh, just comment on that, would be great. Sure. I I think that there are two um, constitutional arguments that the federal government can make to overcome Proposition 19. Um, the first is is that the federal government has the ability to regulate um, the uh, production and distribution of um, uh, marijuana in California through the Commerce Clause. Mm -hmm. And there's precedent for that, of course. Wickard versus Fillmore, Filburn in uh, 1942 is when it was first established that the Commerce Clause covers production of any crops um, and their consumption, no matter how minute that might affect interstate commerce, mm -hmm. it does affect it, and therefore and they it, can... Is that even if that's intrastate as well? Yes, it is. And in fact, um, the uh, U.S. Supreme Court in 2005 in Gonzalez versus Raich um, mm -hmm. decided that specifically when California passed um, its um, medical marijuana mm -hmm. um, production and use uh, statute. And so uh, the Controlled Substances Act of the federal government um, says that um, uh, that is illegal, and through 
the Interstate Commerce Clause, they can go ahead and regulate that. And the Bush administration did, um, in fact, um, uh, vigorously um, uh, go after uh, the 10 or 11 states that had passed medical marijuana um, statutes. And, and they um, still have, by the way. Don't believe what you hear on the news. <laughs> well, the Obama administration did have a change in policy. In 2009, um, Eric Holder, as the Attorney General, did issue a new Department of Justice policy that said that they will not spend the uh, as they will not make a priority of going after um, medical marijuana. Uh, production and use um, in states that have statutes that allow that. Now, we didn't say that, uh, you know, that's a blanket um, rule. They can still go after it, um, uh, but individuals and, and uh, in those states, but that they're not going to make it a priority to disperse federal resources. But he also made very clear in his uh, new policy that uh, that was v very specific to instances of medical marijuana and that they would not uh, consider uh, that as a cover for any other kind of growth or distribution of uh, marijuana and that they still are vigorously going after um, uh, the growth, pr production, distribution, sale, mm -hmm. um, use possession of marijuana. And then um, the other uh, constitutional argument is the Supremacy Clause, which is um, in Article 4. And the Supremacy Clause says that any federal law uh, preempts state laws, uh, whether or not there's an express preemption or not, they can be implied. And again, this was tested with regards to um, drugs in Gonzalez versus Oregon in 2006. In that case, um, Oregon had a law that said um, uh, it was a um, uh, said that doctors could prescribe uh, lethal doses of controlled substances um, to terminally ill patients. Mm -hmm. Death with Dignity Act, right? And uh, the Supreme Court ruled that um, in that case, the Controlled Substances Act did not authorize the Attorney General to uh, declare that that medical practice um, uh, was illegitimate based on this law. But that case is really e easily distinguishable from uh, uh, marijuana use and production that isn't for some medical purpose. And so um, uh, I think that the um, Supremacy Clause would preempt um, this state law since we have a federal law that prohibits um, exactly what Proposition 19 is trying to make legitimate. Right. The only way that there's going to be a change is if Congress passes a law similar to Proposition 19 or um, if the um, Obama administration would have a complete reversal in its position. Mm -hmm. But both President Obama and Eric Holder have given indications that they're not likely to do that. They they will continue to uh, pursue the production um, and distribution and use and possession of marijuana, except in those instances where it involves um, medical uh, necessity. So in essence, what you're saying is likely the feds would attempt to shut down the new law. If the initiative, if the initiative passes, they will come in and say, wait a minute, this is a moot point. This is 
Yeah, it's it's not so much shutting down the law as just saying the law doesn't... uh, prohibit the federal government from pursuing the controlled su- prosecution under the Controlled Substances Act. So it's not going to require California prosecutors to do anything. Mm-hmm. It's just saying, as a federal government, the DEA can, under the Controlled Substances Act, prosecute um, offenses involving marijuana in any state in the union. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that California has this law doesn't affect their prosecutions. So it's not that it's going to invalidate the law um, necessarily, um, although the Supreme Court could upon a challenge um, under either of those constitutional provisions. But the DEA is going to say, well, we're just going to go ahead and prosecute the way we always have. It doesn't matter that California passes this law. It would seem kind of implausible to me, being as California is enormous, it's uh, probably the sixth largest GDP in countries, and it's just a one United State, you know, and uh, one of the United States rather. And uh, there's like 40 plus million people there, and a huge portion of the people there are associated or affiliated in some way with the uh, consumption of cannabis. It, if everybody's doing it, so to speak, um, how is it possible to stop people? They just, I mean, I would, I would think that would set the the scene, the stage for uh, just chaos, which would elicit uh, Supreme Court action to to get involved. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, are you assuming that in California um, more people are going to start to use cannabis if Proposition 19 passes? Yes. Um, part of the provision, um, Proposition 19, part of the, the um, language within this uh, initiative states that there will be, uh, they will set up legal, they'll sell it pretty much like alcohol is sold. Um, it's 21 or over, right. and uh, each each county will be allowed to decide the rules and what they do. And they can also take the option of deciding, like you've heard of dry counties, there's some of those around here in Illinois. They can choose to be a dry county and not um, have legal cannabis sales. Um, so it, there will be some counties inevitably that choose that route, which they should be able to you know, make their own decision. I mean, it's not going to keep anybody, including people that are residents of that county, from consuming cannabis legally, they'll just go somewhere else and buy it legally and bring it home, just like people do in, in dry counties here, yeah. you know, with, with beer or whatever. So, I mean... Yeah, I, right now the DEA isn't able to prosecute all of the instances of production, distribution, use, possession of marijuana. Um, and, uh, I mean, you're right, if that increases, they still won't be able to prosecute all of those cases, but they have the authority to. And what um, the DEA does now is goes after the biggest um, um, drug organizations and and dealers that they can um, in order to try to uh, control this. You know, we can argue that they're not effective, but they're still going to have the power to to do do that, Mm -hmm. no matter whether California passes Proposition 19 or not. Um, will more people be able to use marijuana and um, escape prosecution? Probably because they won't have to face state prosecution mm-hmm. um, and the threat of that as well. Um, but it's not going to affect the federal government's power to do this. It just might affect their ability to. 
So it sounds to me, um, and this is going to be really interesting. We've always said on our show um, for months and months, you know, uh, coming up to the the what is it now? Twenty days away. It's really close. Right, the, right. the vote in November. Um, we've always said, you know, this is going to be probably uh, a prime to hold a prime time spot on our show on our program, um, well beyond uh, November second, regardless of the outcome. Because this is just going to be a huge event, and it 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 makes me wonder if this might be become a crossroads of sorts, where the federal government will be put into place to make a, a decision about what they want to do. Do they want to take this uh, all guns blazing, you know, aggressive law enforcement criminal justice approach toward it? that they know is not working, more and more people are knowing that's not working now. Non-typical uh, demographics, um, the biggest growing um, so, uh, demographic in support of cannabis and cannabis laws and the changes, the reform of cannabis laws, are uh, 50 and 60 year olds, um, the empty nesters. Hmm. And the, the whole attitude is void of any of the stereotypes that people typically would So you know, the old, stale stereotypes we try to you know diminish or do away with they don't even exist with these with these groups of people they're just normal people like you know they just like 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 I think a lot of individuals are but I mean these are just typical 50 or 60 year old couples and it should set uh, it should set the stage for some really really exciting developments yeah I mean you can the the what we have as a hint of how the Obama administration is going to pursue this or deal with this is what uh, Eric Holder said in his memo back in October of 2009 and what he when he talked about um, not making it a priority to go after laws that have uh, medical marijuana use go after people who are using marijuana for medical purposes he said on the other hand prosecution of criminal enterprises that unlawfully market and sell marijuana for profit continue to be an enforcement priority of the department. So they're going to continue that. But he said that the cases that they're most, um, you know, that they put highest in terms of priority are those that involve um, unlawful possession or unlawful use of firearms, Mm -hmm. um, violence, sales to minor, um, financial and marketing activities inconsistent with um, terms, conditions, or purposes of state law. amounts of marijuana inconsistent with purported compliance or uh, state or local law, illegal possession or sale of other controlled substances, or ties to criminal enterprises. Sure. So we know already what their priorities are going to yeah, be. Which most of those things, I think, that most of the advocates that I know and most of my friends, I think, believe all of us on the show, if I'm correct, if I'm correct would all uh, agree with anyway. You yeah. Know, if, I, I, we've we've had comments on our show. One time, our producer uh, rang in. I was I was telling a story about uh, some big grows. They were illegal uh, Mexican nationals that came over, um, organized cr- criminals that were growing these vast fields of low quality cannabis for just exclusively for profit. And uh, that I, I mentioned that they had a, an amazing amount of firearms and, and and things. And he said, "Well, good. They should be arrested. Those kind of people." should be arrested because that's not what this is about you know this is about freedom and harm reduction not new ways to bring in potential harm or risk or hazards for people you know and right. It, right it makes me wonder whether the government will choose that aggressive stance that they've they've had in the past to continue that at this place because it will be a, re- a time for reassessment 
where they'll have to think about this? Or would this be prime time and the nation would be ready for this uh, to revisit our drug laws and revisit our scheduling primarily and uh, specifically cannabis um, and, and reschedule it from Schedule 1, which would change a lot. Right, right. And I do think that a lot of that, if Proposition 19 passes, I do think there will be a lot of that reassessment and consideration. Now, that doesn't mean that they're going to ultimately change your policy, um, but uh, we do have, at least from this um, October 2009 memo, a sense of where they're going to really put their resources, where they have, the Obama administration has put their resources and where they'll continue to. But unless the law changes... Um, whether or not uh, the DEA is going to be more aggressive or not is going to depend on the administration. Um, mm-hmm. So it'll be up to Congress to make um, a change if there's going to be one that's going to um, have long-term effects. So all of our listeners and all of their friends and all of their friends' friends and their relatives need to contact Congress after Proposition uh, 19 uh, passes. And in November and let them know please support this we want logical sensible legislation we don't want to free the drugs we don't want to get wasted that's not the theme that's not the underlying tone here we want sensible uh, legislation that uh, more and more so we're pushing toward a, a strong majority of our nation being behind at this time so hopefully that the all these things considered you know coming into play will uh, initiate some honest I don't know federal introspection does that ever occur is that a is that a fantasy in and of itself maybe so but maybe maybe perhaps this could be a, a an area where we could grow uh, you know in our national policy as well well it's very interesting well thank you dr. Jordan so much for speaking with us a little bit about this and uh, as things progress I'm sure the the legal uh, atmosphere is going to change and morph and bend and all kinds of who knows what's going to happen in the next several weeks. Um, perhaps if there's some new uh, changes, we can come and ask some more, uh, some more objective information about this. Absolutely. My pleasure. Excellent. Excellent. Well, thank you and take care. Um, and we'll get back to, back to the show. Thanks for, mm-hmm. thanks for that, Jamie. That was, uh, was a yeah, good, it- good discussion. Absolutely, and I want to I want to take a second to thank uh, Dr. Jordan for her. Great, she was very graceful. She's a very cool person, actually. She's had a great sense of humor and was really really down with uh, you know lending her support. She actually went and did some research to make sure she had her constitutional law uh, as pertaining to this spe- specific issue, um, you know, down pat. So yeah, we appreciate that. But uh, yeah, yeah. Um, the one thing I, I guess I got to point out, and we've constantly been pushed telling our listeners this, is that, that they still the federal government still does. Sp- spend effort and money to prosecute small-time medical cannabis you better believe it yeah did you hear me say that in an interview yeah and you didn't want to and i know you didn't want to get into it out of you know respect for her and and because you weren't really like trying to start a debate over it but but it happens they still fly in all the Mm. medical states they still bust out i mean they still they still make decisions on whether or not a garden is legal or illegal and pull plants and arrest She people. was right, too. And that's what most people think is going on. They think that there was this big change in their policy and how they did this because they had that statement where they came out and said they're not going to make that their priority, you know, as far as funding. But, you know, what, what you said earlier in the show is exactly what's happened. They just don't advertise it anymore. 
Oh yeah, you know? and and the Other thing that, is it's the same old, same old. Well, they've stopped advertising it because they realize they don't have enough resources to fight the pervasiveness of it. I mean, it's it's everywhere. And right. I mean, what are they going to, you know, and what are they going to do? They make an example here or there, and they used to make it an example, you know, right. but it was, it was becoming obvious to them that counterproductive that they c- couldn't do. M- I mean, a couple years ago here in Humboldt County, 400 feds came to town and we knew about it while they were here. And we knew that it cost them millions of dollars for this, this operation that they had been working on for how many years was that like a two-year operation something something and it was like one dude with like 30 properties that he was like letting people renting out to other people some something and they haven't even prosecuted this guy yet and they spent a ton of resources on this one thing and they you know and it's now now they've stopped talking about these things and they don't do it the same way anymore because they waste they know how much money they're wasting on it what are, i mean they'd have they'd have to you said it in the interview take this criminal just law enforcement approach with guns blazing i mean literally when prop 19 mm-hmm. passes they she's absolutely correct the federal government has the 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 power to continue prosecuting us but how much Will they prosecute us is what I – I guess what I wonder. And then it was it was really cool to get the breakdown of the supremacy clause and the commerce clause from her because that's inevitably what will be in the, in the courts with it when they're trying to determine the constitutionality of the law itself. Um, but at first, before they even get to that point, that she's right. The DEA will still be able to bust us. It's just a matter of whether they will. And to what degree they kind of start changing their policies about who and how they bust people, you know? I mean, because you're right. right. I don't want, you know, we're trying to take the violence out of this. Um, We're trying to make this a regular, normal activity and and, uh, um, commodity. And Mm -hmm. uh, that's what we're fighting here. And it's really interesting to... to, um, to get the the constitutional perspective on it, we got some from Chris Conrad earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got you've got something. There's a. It looks like we've, we're going to move into a, a, another clip here where, and this is uh, going to be Asa Hutchinson probably. Oh, yeah. bags. And, and and Steve Douchey slamming on it, trying to yeah, t- trying to tell us exactly how they're going to take it down. Yeah. Is, yeah. That, is it wrong for me to call them a pair of douchebags? No. Yeah. How many oh, douchebags does it take to call legalization of marijuana un- unconstitutional? <laughs> well, evidently two. Two. <laughs> Yeah, sure they are. Going to pot. California's push to legalize marijuana may have met its toughest competition yet. The U.S. Constitution, remember that? Well, this November, California voters will decide if the state should legalize the possession and sale of small amounts of pot, something the federal government has already deemed illegal. So if passed, would Proposition 19 in California be a violation of federal law? Sounds kind of like the argument with immigration, right? Well, Asa Hutchinson Hutchinson is the former head of the DEA. He joins us now. Good morning to you. Uh, Good morning, Steve. All right, this is a great argument that you make. Well, not only I make it, but uh, all nine administrators, former administrators of the DEA, since its inception, both Democrat and Republican administrations signed this letter to the Attorney General asking him to state very clearly his opposition to Proposition 19 in California, which would legalize small amounts of marijuana. Right. And we do it because federal law is very clear under the Controlled Substances Act, possession of marijuana is illegal. And you don't want to have a state law that conflicts with federal law. 
And there's a reason we have the supremacy clause in the U.S. Constitution that's been asserted in Arizona. Sure. That when they're in conflict, federal law trumps. So let's give them notice in advance that it's still a violation of federal law. Oh, Asa, you know, uh, I don't think the administration is going to like you using their argument to make your case. In fact, uh, here is a former San Jose, California police chief who was on our program who said that Prop 19 will defeat cartels. Watch this. This will strike a blow against the drug cartels and drug gangs uh, by taking away 60 percent of the funds that they obtain now from marijuana's black market. Mm -hmm. uh, during my 35 years in law enforcement, we never landed a glove on that. Okay, so uh, Mr. Mr. Hutchison, he says that they legalize it, it'll get rid of the cartels. You don't think that's right? Well, I don't think that's right, and I don't think logic says that's right. I mean, the cartels do engage in marijuana trafficking, but it's also heroin, it's also uh, cocaine, it's also methamphetamine, devastating drugs, and right. so you don't put them out of business. Uh, you know, whenever we ended prohibition, uh, perhaps they adjusted into other areas of crime, but the crime syndicates went on. Sure. Now, you know, a number of states have considered marijuana for medicinal use. This is just, this is not for medicinal use. This is just, you can have pot, you can grow pot a little bit, as long as you don't sell it. Why is that such a bad idea, the Cal what California is on the verge of perhaps passing? Well, it's a, it's a bad idea because if you believe that marijuana is a harmful drug and you mm -hmm. don't want teenage consumption of marijuana to go up, right. then you need to vote against that. Uh, in fact, the president's national drug control policy opposes, prop or opposes legalization because they know it would increase usage. Last year, we had 1.5 million more users than the previous year in 2008. It's starting to uptick. We need to take a strong stand that it's still a harmful drug. Uh, and so I think that's, I'm a parent as well. Sure. And uh, you don't want uh, consumption to go up, and historically that's what happens when you legalize. Absolutely. All right, Asa, thank you very much. Nice to see you again. Good to see you, Steve. Thank All you. right. Whatever. Uh, same old. Same where old. do you start? That know. guy's on the Kool-Aid. Uh, he's on the Kool-Aid for sure. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I mean, I think he's right. Criminals aren't going to stop being criminals about that, right. at least. You Absolutely. Know? I mean. Absolutely. And nobody's really, nobody's truly said um, if we legalize cannabis anywhere, even in the whole country, that it's going to wipe out the drug uh, cartels. No. What we're, what we're, we're saying it's going to deliver a tremendous financial blow to and them. And they'll have to change their ways and, you know, and he's right. That's what they'll do. But taking one of their very profitable commodities, I mean, I don't think that they're being – he's being very honest about the cannabis impact that – the impact cannabis has on – for those cartels' bottom lines. I mean they – Both from, from Mexico and grown in the United States. Right, right. The cartels doing it in the United States and, or even transporting it over the border, and uh, they funnel a lot of money through that. I mean it's a very – profitable because of its artificially inflated prices is a very profitable activity for them and they do it in big scale in our national forests and in huge scale in mexico and and they funnel a lot of it directly into the black market so what the thing they're not we're, you need to isolate california what they're saying is potentially 
it's like, well, California legalizes. It's not going to do anything to they're, – they're still going to be able to sell marijuana in the other 49 states, these cartels, right? Well, yes, but California becomes an isolated experiment then with legalization, and you can see if it has an effect on our crime rates in California, if it has an effect on the drug smuggling through California. What, you know what I mean? You get to you, – it, it'll have a totally – it will have something to look at and see – how good or bad it is for 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 society and i believe it's going to be overwhelmingly good and um i don't know i just i just think that they're 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 short he's he's just short-sighted and 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 seeing that uh it could potentially could potentially knock a big portion of the profits out for those guys and i, I don't know why they just don't 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 buy that um portion of of our argument but that's just their their line i guess you know yeah, and you heard Asa Hutchinson. He's one of the nine uh, former drug czars, um, administrators, actually, of the United States Drug Enforcement Administration. Um, from 70, July 1st of 1973, that's John Bartles, all the way to November 10th of 07, which is uh, Karen, the, the Tommy Chong ball-munching Tandy who uh, had their aggressive, we're going to get this guy. She's the one that was uh, rabid. And foaming at the mouth, going after uh, Tommy Chong and that whole debacle. Yeah. And uh, they all signed this letter um, to Eric Holder. And actually, I have this. This is perfect because that story they were referring, uh, Ace Hutchinson was referring to information that was in this letter. And uh, the following uh, little bit from uh, <clears throat> Dan Rifle from MPP also addresses this issue. And I have it right here. It's only a few uh, paragraphs. I'll buzz through it really quick, but we'll have this link on our site as well if you want to read it a little bit more in-depthly. Um, it says, Dear Attorney General Holder, that's uh, um, Eric Holder, our, our attorney uh, for the U.S. Um, we are former administrators of the U.S. Drug Enforcement Administration who are writing you uh, to express our grave concern about Proposition 19 in California, also known as Regulate, Control, and Tax Cannabis Act of 2010, which if passed will legalize the production, possession, and sale of marijuana in direct conflict with the Controlled Substances Act, further known in this, uh, in this thing as the CSA, uh, and federal law. Under these circumstances, as you know, such a state law will violate the supremacy clause of the U.S. Constitution and will be void. Indeed, the CSA the Controlled Substances Act, itself clearly states that federal law preempts state law when there is a positive conflict between the two jurisdictions. The California proposition is not a close call. It will be a clear conflict with established federal law and, in fact, will also violate our government's treaty obligations ratified by Congress. We further invite your attention to the president's 2010 National Drug Control Strategy, which unequivocally opposes the legalization of marijuana. They have a little excerpt from that, which I won't read, but that's from his stance on uh, uh, drug control. Um, lastly, we note that the Department of Justice acted quickly to assert the Constitution's supremacy clause in its recent suit to declare null and void certain provisions of an immigration bill passed by the state of Arizona. We would expect the Department of Justice to act just as swiftly and for the same reason to uphold the supremacy clause of the U.S. Constitution and the preemption provision of the CSA to prevent Proposition 19 from becoming law. While the California ballot initiative has not yet been approved by the voters, as was the case in Arizona, it would be in the public interest to be aware of the law and where the Department of Justice would stand if this proposition passed. We urge you to speak out on this issue. Proposition 19 suggests that marijuana sales will be taxed and revenue collected by the state. 
it is unlikely that any taxes will be paid. For doing so would admit criminal violation of federal law and expose the seller to federal prosecution. If the Department of Justice remains silent, the consequences will be lack of awareness of the federal preemption uh, clause dealing with drug control, indication of a willingness to abrogate treaty obligations, costly and unnecessary litigation, and the unfortunate message that this silence conveys to the public, to our law enforcement counterparts, both overseas and in this country, and finally to the strategy set out by the president and the National Drug Control Strategy of 2010. We would be pleased to meet with you on this matter should you desire to discuss this further. Each of us covering almost four decades strongly supported the language and intent of the Controlled Substances Act. Upon becoming administrators of the DEA, we took an oath to office to uphold and defend the Constitution. And while we may no longer be in public service, our public commitment to this goal and to the responsibility to uphold the law remains undiminished. It is in this spirit that we offer our guidance on this issue and respectfully request your attention and intervention on California's Proposition 19. Mm, blah. Whatever, dude. That so was, that was, that was, is, I was starting to fade on you there, man. I don't yeah, really care well, see, about the importance of this wording comes now. Nothing. Now you're going to get it a little bit more. Um, this is why Dan Rifle, we really like from uh, MPP.org, um, he, uh, he wrote this. this uh, it's called Prop 19 and Constitutional Law for Dummies. Uh, and DEA administrators, because these guys were former drug uh, DEA administrative uh, individuals. But unfortunately, it appears that they have some serious ignorance when it comes to um, constitutional law. And uh, we'll have this link. If you're listening to me say this, it's definitely up on our site right now from uh, Dan Rifle. And be sure to check this one out. He breaks this thing down um, very, very well. He said... Um, President Obama has several choices, but the one I want to address here is the only one recently urged by nine former DEA heads, which I just read to you. For the feds to sue California in an attempt to declare the law null and void under the supremacy clause of the Constitution because it violates the Controlled Substances Act. I've yet to see a more than perfunctory analysis of such a scenario, Dan said. So I thought I'd post a little introductory constitutional law lesson for our curious readers. And he points out in, uh, in no uncertain terms uh, very many uh, portions of the, the Constitution and explains different uh, sections and how it works. And I'm not going to read through the whole thing. You can check that on our site for a little bit more in-depth reading. But one point he points out, uh, let's touch on a little bit of the, the highlights of this. He says, Article um, 6, Section 1, Clause 2 of the Constitution says, quote, This Constitution and the laws of the United States, which shall be made in pursuance thereof, shall be the supreme law of the land, laws of any state to the contrary, notwithstanding. In short, if state law conflicts with a constitutionally valid federal law, the state law is void. Now, for starters, not even Supreme Court justices will agree on what the CSA can constitutionally prohibit. At least one justice will tell you a law providing the interstate cultivation and consumption of marijuana, or prohibiting it, rather, um, at least for medical use, isn't constitutional in the first place. But since a majority on the court has already said Congress has authority to regulate even intrastate marijuana cultivation, does that mean Prop 19 would be void? And uh, Dan says hardly. It hardly means that. The legal term for this analysis is preemption. Um, does federal law preempt state law? There are two ways this can happen, express uh, preemption or implied. Express preemption is when federal law expressly says that it preempts state law. And, and the CSA does not. The second is implied preemption, 
And there are multiple versions of, of uh, versions of implied preemption. First is when federal laws and regulations are so comprehensive, they intend to occupy the field and leave no room for the states to regulate. The second is when there is a direct conflict between state and federal law so that one law forbids something the other one requires or vice versa. Fortunately, Section 903 of the CSA speaks directly to this question, and it says, no provision of this subchapter shall be construed as in- indicating an intent on the part of Congress to occupy the field in which that provision operates, including criminal penalties, to the exclusion of any state law on the same subject matter, which would otherwise be within the authority of the state, unless there's a positive conflict between that provision of this subchapter and that state law so that the two cannot consistently stand together. So as you can see, the CSA itself says explicitly that it doesn't occupy the field. That's why in addition to federal laws on marijuana possession, every state in the country has its own laws, most of which differ from one another and the federal law. So the question is whether there's a positive conflict between the federal law and Prop 19. Does the proposition require something that the CSA forbids? Late night punchlines notwithstanding, smoking marijuana will not be mandatory in California if Prop 19 passes. Prop 19 doesn't forbid anything the CSA requires. So... He, uh, he goes in a little bit more in depth and talks a little bit more about it. But at the end, he says, the bottom line is this. California vo- voters have a very real opportunity on November 2nd to finally start unwinding marijuana prohibition. And nothing in the Constitution says otherwise. So that's a, a pretty uh, decent take on what's going on with the Constitution. And from the sounds of it, it looks like these laws would not conflict with the federal law. No, because all it's, we're it, doing is just in doing – we're just not enforcing right. their, their laws. They're, they're, you're retracting California's law. They're, they're eliminating the California law that says that it's illegal. Right. We're, and there's no law that says California has to have one. The Controlled Substances Act, uh, Section 903, it says – it doesn't say anywhere in the, in the CSA that each state has to have these laws or enforce these laws. So that's really interesting. So yeah, yeah, and it's out. very it's it's not easy listening or easy reading, and I apologize for that. But it's very very relevant and it's very t- pertinent. They to try to make it seem like it's so similar to what was going on in Arizona, but er- what Arizona did was they was wrote a law to try and enforce a federal law even more than the federal government itself right. was enforcing, and yeah, that what was, they were doing. That's they were tweaking there. a federal law. That's exactly right. That was a federal. That's federal law. They were messing with the feds law, and this is not messing with the feds law. This is mess- messing with the California, the state of California's law, which the Fed does not require that they have in the first place. I learned a little something, something today. Did y'all learn a well, little something, something well, out I there? It's going to and... be a kind of long ride. <laughs> yeah, you know, we're going to learn a little <laughs> something, something more. We're going to smoke in <laughs> some more weed and test it out like Geraldo. That was a- <laughs> <laughs> tested this. <laughs> what were we testing today, by the way? Uh, AK forty-seven. Oh, good, yeah. good, good medicine. Yeah, awesome. good medicine. How'd that go? It's good, man. <laughs> it's good as always. Super. It's strong. Thumbs it's, up. Yeah, it's high on the THC meter, which would mean it would be illegal in New Jersey because it is above ten percent. <laughs> but uh, yeah. That's wow! Marathon this week, guys. It's almost dinner time. Jeez, marathon. I hope you guys liked that. Let us know what you thought of the show. Um, Mm -hmm. Check us out, cannabisagenda.com. Email us at info at cannabisagenda.com. Call us 707-654-CAN. We will have a clip at the end of the show from Reason TV on uh, the science of medical cannabis. It's a, a 
conversation piece with Donald Abrams, doctor. Uh, I believe he's on uh, MSNBC. Same. He used to be on in a, in one of those CNBC or MSNBC. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, please check us out on iTunes. Subscribe. It'll be uploaded when it's available. Uh, rate us on there too. Gives us some sort mm-hmm. of does some sort of magic for us. I I don't understand, <laughs> but. Um, Check us out on Twitter and uh, please on Facebook. Um, like us on Facebook and, and send invites out to your friends. Um, mm-hmm. This uh, our community is growing every day. It's amazing to to watch watch this happen, and, and it's all because of you guys. So we really really um, appreciate your participation in this process. This is uh, this is historic stuff, and um, yeah, we've got. Let's see, where are we now? We have. Polls open in California in 15 days, 15 hours, 52 minutes, and 42 seconds. So everybody, mm-hmm. please show up and vote. Takes effort. Got to go there. Got to punch the ticket. And uh, we'll move on to the next phase of this whole thing, the phase of what happens after pot is legalized. All right, mm-hmm. people, thanks a lot. Peace and pot. You bet. Take care. See you next time. Agenda, your weekly source for cannabis-related news and informed discussion. We podcast for an hour every Monday covering topics related to cannabis legalization, medical marijuana, and market-related information. You can follow online with us at CannabisAgenda.com. I mean, I went to college in the 60s, you know, that's what prompted me to, uh, to pursue this line of research because I saw that, you know, I went to an Ivy League school and I went to Stanford School of Medicine and, you know, I used cannabis and I don't think it destroyed my life. I'm Donald Abrams, and I'm Chief of Hematology Oncology at San Francisco General Hospital and a Professor of Medicine at the University of California, San Francisco. In the clinic here at San Francisco General Hospital, we had uh, a volunteer, uh, Mary Rathbun, who was our Volunteer of the Year for two years in a row. She was an older woman, and she used to bring her kids, as she called our patients, uh, marijuana brownies. Uh, This was at a time when we didn't have any effective therapies for HIV-AIDS, and many people were dying of the so-called wasting syndrome. I was in Amsterdam, of all places, at the International AIDS Conference, and glancing at CNN headline news, and I saw that Mary was being arrested in Sonoma for baking brownies for our patients. And when I arrived home, there was a letter directed to the uh, director of research in the AIDS program at San Francisco General suggesting that a clinical trial showing the benefits of medical marijuana should come from Brownie Mary's institution, as if she were our dean. Uh, But, you know, I picked up the gauntlet and decided, well, that's a good idea. I had found out that the federal government, uh, the only legal source of cannabis for clinical trials, uh, being the National Institute on drug abuse was not interested or or has a mandate from Congress that they cannot supply cannabis to study as a treatment. Because as Dr. Leshner told me when I met with him in 1996, he said, 
we are the National Institute on Drug Abuse, not for drug abuse. So they have a congressional mandate only to study substances of abuse as substances of abuse, and hence could not give me marijuana to study to see if it reversed the AIDS wasting syndrome. In California, we were fortunate at the end of the last century to have a, a budget surplus. And with that, uh, Senator John Vasconcellos established a Center for Medicinal Cannabis Research at the University of California through appropriating $3 million a year for three years. Uh, and that center was really developed to study uh, cannabis as a medicine uh, for the indications that the people of California had voted on in 1996. The federal government, again, deciding that they're the only legal source of, of cannabis, sort of made arrangements so that they would supply the marijuana for these research protocols, even though they were looking at marijuana's effectiveness, as long as they didn't have to pay to do the studies. So the state of California, the University of California Center for Medicinal Cannabis Research, would fund the research, and NIDA would supply the marijuana. And so that was a big change. The, the potency of the cannabis that we get from NIDA, the National Institute on Drug Abuse, is, is low. Uh, averages about 3.5, maybe to 4 percent. Uh, and street cannabis, or cannabis that's uh, from the dispensaries, I think is 8 to 12 to 20 percent. So that, that's lower potency. I, I asked NIDA, can't you make more potent cannabis? You know, and they said, well, it turns out that it's too sticky and it, it gums up their machine because they automatically roll their uh, marijuana for research into cigarettes using Pall Mall cigarette paper. So, so they did actually for our vaporizer study, they came up with a 6.8% THC, um, which they managed, I don't know if they hand rolled it or, or what, but they, they did manage to make a more potent strain. A number of the studies that we did were on painful peripheral neuropathy because it's such a hard syndrome to treat and there aren't really effective therapies. Opioids don't really work. Acupuncture is plus minus. Most people use anti-seizure medicines. And I think all the studies uh, from the uh, University of California Center for Medicinal Cannabis Research have shown that uh, cannabis is very useful for peripheral neuropathy. We took patients with chronic pain who were taking an opioid, either morphine extended release or oxycodone extended release, and we exposed them to vaporized cannabis for five days. And we looked at the impact on the level of the opioid, the morphine or the oxycodone, in their bloodstream and the impact on their pain. And we're in the process of writing that one up, but it was very interesting and it supports what we thought was going to happen in that the blood levels of the opioid, either the morphine or the oxycodone, were actually decreased, but pain relief was increased with the cannabis. So, you know, that's a very interesting finding. Other studies have been conducted in patients with multiple sclerosis. Again, many patients with multiple sclerosis re report decrease in spasticity, decrease in pain, increased mobility, increased mood, improved mood uh, when uh, participating in these studies. We've done a lot of research over the past 20 years when we haven't been able to do research with the actual cannabis on how cannabinoids uh, cause their effects. And what investigators found in the 1970s and 80s was that uh, we have receptors in our body, uh, CB1 and CB2, 
that complex with these cannabinoids from the plants. Now, why would we and all other animal species, mind you, have these CB1 receptors? It's not because we're meant to smoke marijuana. What we find out is that we have uh, our own circulating cannabinoid chemicals in our body that don't come from the plant. They're generally produced on demand and they complex with the receptor and they cause uh, biological action. So I drink green tea for its health benefit and green tea has a number of different chemicals that produce these benefits. Similarly, cannabis, the plant, uh, has a number of active compounds called cannabinoids and they belong to a family of 21 carbon chemicals that all have um, biologic activity. We believe that there are about 70 or 80 different cannabinoids in marijuana. The most well-known and the most psychoactive cannabinoid is Delta 9 THC and that has been extracted from the plant and put in a sesame oil capsule and has been available as a drug, dronabinol, now for many years. However, there are other cannabinoids in the plant that have activity. A study in Israel looked at Delta 8 THC and found that it was equally effective as an anti-nausea drug for children with cancer getting chemotherapy. I think most of the interest now is on another uh, cannabinoid called cannabidiol, otherwise known as CBD. <clears throat> this cannabinoid seems to have really potent anti-inflammatory and anti-pain activity without having a psychological effect or without producing a high. It's a very exciting field and many drug companies are working to increase production of endocannabinoids or decrease production or block the cannabinoid receptor. Now, there was an example of a drug that was approved uh, to decrease appetite. It was approved in Europe and it was a CB1 receptor blocker so that the receptor could no longer uh, bind with the body's own endocannabinoids. And what they found was that by blocking that CB1 receptor that patients lost weight but they got depressed and they committed suicide and that was a bad side effect so the drug was never approved here in the US and it's now been taken off the market in Europe as an oncologist there's hardly a cancer patient that I see for whom I don't recommend cannabis because these are patients, especially those who are undergoing chemotherapy, who benefit from anti-nausea, increased appetite. We have many, many other anti-nausea drugs, but cannabis is the only drug that also increases appetite. And we know it decreases pain, again, especially in conjunction with opioids, helps people sleep better, and it decreases depression. So those are five reasons that a cancer patient might benefit from cannabis, and if I were not familiar with cannabis's medicinal properties, I would have to prescribe five different medicines, all of which would have side effects, toxicity, and cost. If this were something that we just discovered in the Amazon, you know, everybody would be knocking doors down to do clinical trials to investigate its potential because it is quite an amazing medicine. I mean, it, it is unfortunately all about politics and not science, and that's when it comes to the health of the nation, I think a problem.